the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, back with you on a Friday, the Dave Ellswick Show. Good to have you along for the ride here on the last day of the week. Uh, here's what I thought I would do today. I I really kind of debated this in my mind of whether I wanted to do this exactly this way or not, and I decided the best way to do it is to let you hear it. So, as you know, Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House again, and she gave a speech yesterday uh, to her congressional colleagues, and uh, I got a copy of it. And I have decided I'm going to play it for you so you'll know, as far as the House is concerned, what we're up against. Here's what she had to say. I extend to you this gavel. Leader McCarthy, I look forward to working with you in a bipartisan way for the good of our country, respecting our constituents. Who, you are every one of you. I respect you and the constituents who sent each and every one of us here. They expect and deserve for us to try to find our common ground, and we must try to do that. Stand our ground where we can't but always extend the hand of friendship. Thank you, Kevin McCarthy, for your leadership. I look forward to working with you. Congratulations on being the leader of the party. To each and every one of you, new members of Congress, newly re-elected members of Congress, Thank you for your courage to run for office and to serve in this distinguished body. Every two years, we gather in this chamber for a sacred ritual under the dome of this temple of democracy, the capital of the United States. We renew the great American experiment. I'm particularly proud to be the woman speaker of the House of this Congress, which marks the 100th year of women having the right to vote. And, and that we all have the ability and the privilege to serve with over 100 women members of Congress, the largest number in history. As Leader McCarthy, 
McCarthy said, each of us comes to this chamber strengthened by the trust of our constituents and the love of our families. Let us congratulate and welcome all of the families who are here today. Thank you to our families. Let me take the privilege of thanking my dear husband, Paul, and our five children. Our five children, Nancy, Corinne, Christine, Jacqueline, Paul, and Alexandra, and our nine grandchildren, Madeline and Alexander, Liam, Sean, and Ryan, Thomas and Paul, Bella and uh, Octavio, we're so proud of all of our grandchildren. And we're proud of everyone's grandchildren and children who are here today. We'll see more of them. I'm also proud of my D'Alessandro family who is here from Baltimore for us too. In, in the spirit, in that spirit, uh, my mother and father and my brother Tommy, who was also mayor of Baltimore, taught us through their example that public service is a noble calling. Uh, that we should serve with our hearts full of love, and that America's heart is full of love. Singing that to us last night, my comrade is an Italian-American, with that pride, all that proud, I want to acknowledge Tony Bennett, who is here with us today as well. Thank you, Tony. free the concentration camps at, during the time of World War II. He marched with Martin Luther King. He is a, a true American patriot. Thank you, Tony. And again, I want to thank my constituents from San Francisco who have entrusted me to represent them in Congress in the spirit of St. Francis, the patron saint of San Francisco. And his song of St. Francis is our anthem. Make me a channel of thy peace. We heard that in church this morning, but it is our mission. And let me thank our men and women in uniform, our veterans, and our military families and caregivers, whose service reminds us of our mission to make the future worthy of their sacrifice. To our men and women in uniform. new Congress with a sense of great hope and confidence for the future and deep humility and prayerfulness in the face of challenges ahead. Our nation is at an historic moment. Two months ago, the American people spoke and demanded a new dawn. They called upon the beauty of our Constitution, our system of checks and balances that protects our democracy, remembering that the legislative branch is Article I, the first branch of government, co-equal to the presidency and to the judiciary. They want a Congress that delivers results for the people opening up opportunity 
and lifting up their lives. We're hearing the voice of the future there. How beautiful. <laughs> when our new members take the oath, our Congress will be refreshed and our democracy will be strengthened by their optimism, idealism, and patriotism of this transformative freshman class. Congratulations to all of you in the freshman class. Working together, we'll, we will redeem the promise of the American dream for every family, advancing progress for every community. We must be pioneers of the future. This Congress must accelerate a future that advances America's preeminence in the world and opens up opportunities for all. Building an economy that gives all Americans the tools they need to succeed in the 21st century. Public education, workforce development, good paying jobs, and secure pensions. We have heard from too many families who wonder in this time of innovation and globalization if they have a place in the economy of the future. We must remove all doubt that they do and say to them individually, we will have an economy that works for you. Let us declare that we will call upon bold thinking to address the disparity of income in America, which is at the root of the crisis of confidence felt by so many Americans. As Justice Brandeis said, we may have democracy or we may have wealth concentrated in the hands of the few, but we cannot have both. We must end that injustice and restore the public's faith in a better future for themselves and their children. We must be champions of the middle class and all those who aspire to it because the middle class is the backbone of our democracy. It has been since the birth. It has been since the birth of our democracy. Aristotle said, it is manifest that the best political community is formed by citizens of the middle class, in which the middle class is large and stronger than any of the other classes. We must fight for the middle class that is fair and fiscally sound, protecting Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. <laughs> we must also face the existential threat of our time, the climate crisis, a crisis manifested in natural disasters of epic proportions. The American people understand the urgency. The people are ahead of the Congress. The Congress must join them. And that is why we have created a select committee on climate crisis. The entire Congress must work to put an end to the inaction and denial of science that threaten the planet and the future. This. This is a, de a decision, it's a, deci a public health decision about clean air, clean water for our children's health. It's a decision for America's global preeminence in the green technologies. It is a, a decision, a security decision to keep us all safe and a moral decision to be good stewards of God's creation. We have no illusions that our work will be easy and that all of us in this chamber will always agree. 
But let each of us pledge that when we disagree, we respect each other and we respect the truth. We will debate and advance good ideas no matter where they come from. And in that spirit, Democrats will be offering the Senate Republican appropriations legislation to reopen government later today. Do so, but do so to meet the needs of the American people, to protect our borders, and to respect our workers. And I pledge that this Congress will be transparent, bipartisan, and unifying, that we will seek to reach across the aisle in this chamber and across divisions across our nation. In the past two years, the American people have spoken. Tens of thousands of public events were held. Hundreds of thousands of people turned out. Millions of calls were made. Countless families, even sick little children. Our little lobbyists, our little lobbyists bravely came forward to tell their stories and they made a big difference. Now the floor of this house must be America's town hall where people will see our debates and where their voices will be heard and affect our decisions. Transparency will be the order of the day. And as Mr. Jeffries, our distinguished chairman, said, we will follow our, our mandate for the people. And I thank you for your kind nomination and accept those kind remarks on behalf of the entire House Democratic Caucus who made all of those victories possible. Some of them in a bipartisan way. Empower our mandate for the people to lower health care costs and prescription drug prices and protect people with pre-existing medical conditions. to increase paychecks by rebuilding America with green and modern infrastructure from sea to shining sea. We look forward to working with the President on that. To pass HR1 to restore integrity to government so that people can have confidence that government, in a government that works for the people, not the special interest. HR1. take overdue legislation that has bipartisan support, bipartisan support in the Congress and across the country. We will make our community safer and keep our sacred promise to the victims and survivors and families of gun violence by passing common sense bipartisan background check legislation. We will make America fairer by passing the Equality Act to end discrimination against the LGBTQ community. And we will make America more American by passing our 
by protecting our patriotic, courageous dreamers. Of, that, of those legislative initiatives have bipartisan support in this body. And when we're talking about the Dreamers, let us remember what President Reagan said in his last speech as President of the United States. I, I, I urge you all to read it. It's a beautiful speech. He said, if we ever close the door to new Americans, our leadership role in the world will soon be lost. Ronald Reagan. You know, applaud for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> our common cause is to find and forge a way forward for our country. Let us stand for the people to promote liberty and justice for all as we pledge every day. And always, always keep our nation safe from threats old and new, from terrorism and cyber warfare overseas and here at home to protect and defend. That is the oath we all take to serve in this body. That is the oath we take to protect and defend. I close by remembering a cherished former member of this body who rose to become a beloved president of the United States and who last month returned to the Capitol once more and he came this time to lie in state. That week we honored President George Herbert Walker Bush with eulogies, tributes, and tears. Today, I single out one of his great achievements, working with both Democrats and Republicans to write the Americans with Disabilities Act into the laws of our land. Thank you, Steny Hoyer, for being such a big part, important part of that. In 2010, we marked the 20th anniversary of the Act by making it possible for our colleagues with disabilities to preside over the House by changing the mechanics of this podium. And that spirit of equality and justice, let me announce that this afternoon, the first speaker pro tempore, whom I will yield to, of the 116th Congress will be Congressman Jim Langevin of Rhode Island. take the oath of office today, we accept responsibility as daunting and demanding as any that previous generations of leadership have faced. Guided by the vision and values of our founders, the sacrifice of our men and women in uniform, and the aspirations that we have for our children, let us meet that responsibility with wisdom, with courage, and with grace. Together, we will let it be known that this house will truly be the people's house. And let us pray that God may bless our work and crown our good with brotherhood and sisterhood 
from sea to shining sea. God bless you all, and God bless the United States of America. Thank you. I think I skipped a couple pages. I'm not sure. By the way, did you hear what you said there at the very end? I think I skipped a couple of pages of the speech. (laughs) The parliamentarian instructs me to say the following. I am now ready to take the oath of office. I ask the Dean of the House of Representatives, the Honorable Don Young, to administer the oath of office to speak. So you, you got to hear what the new old Speaker of the House had said. I mean, she was Speaker of the House back in 2007. You'll remember that. And now she's back again uh, for another run. Now, now here's what's interesting about it. If you are a Democrat, how can you say you're coming forth with all these new ideas? We got all, we got all these new ideas and we're a new, new Democrat party but we're putting up the old Democrat Speaker of the House. Uh, we're the new Democrat Party, but the person who's leading right now in who we'd like to run for president in 2020 is an old white guy, Joe Biden. I mean, it's just it's really pretty amazing when you watch the hypocrisy on parade. Some things to pay attention to of what she was talking about. How about to respect each other? Worked out real well today uh, when you had a a congressional person uh, called the President of the United States an MFR. Not the best thing in the world. And then you had the Speaker of the House defender by saying, "Well, you know, she's just younger." What can I tell you? She's she's just younger because she's one of those younger people. She talks different. What are you telling me here, Russ? Go ahead and tell me what I need to know. Oh, you got it for us? All right. Well, here here is that uh, congresswoman, just so you'll know. You're not concerned at all about the the way that the president's base will react to the idea of an incoming Democratic caucus coming in with the idea already pre-baked into the cake. They're going to go and get them. You guys are going to go get well, them. Well, you have to weigh the equities. Uh, that is not the position of the House Democratic Caucus. Sure. Um, the equity to be weighed is that's freedom of speech of an individual member. Uh, as I say, generationally, that would not be language I would use. Sure. Um, but nonetheless, Listen to the very I don't, end, I don't though, think we should make a big deal of it. I really part. don't. Okay. I really don't. That's probably the way people talk around. I, I, um, again, I'm a grandmother, and <laughs> that's a different story. But it, it is, uh, it's really, words have weigh a ton. And the president has to realize that his words weigh a ton, too. And the words, some of the words that he used has a direct impact on people's lives. My colleagues' comments do not have an impact on people's lives. This is that. She's a congresswoman. Her words have no impact whatsoever, but the words of the president have a heavy impact. And I'm a grandmother. I would never use a word like that. But this is one of those new young whippersnappers that we brought into the Congress. And that's just the way they talk. It's all about freedom of speech. Blah, 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 blah. <sighs> Hypocrites. Best I can say about I'm Democrats. offended by that speech. It's <laughs> best I can say about Democrats. First day, Nancy gets back, hypocrisy on parade. Well, we got more to talk about about what she said in her speech. 
about uh, the whole thing about uh, the climate crisis. Now it's not climate change anymore. It's all a climate crisis. That's all coming your way after the news. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. So let's let's check a couple of things off that uh, Pelosi said on uh, her uh, her speech. I got to look and make sure I got some things. I do have it. It's right here. She made statement not about climate change. She talked about a climate crisis, and we had to get this new green deal going. Okay, so what is this new green deal? Ocasio Cortez, new uh, House member, uh, a socialist that you really, really need to be paying attention to because some people are giving her all kinds of of uh, credibility, and she knows very little has been floating uh, this information about her new gr- her green New Deal, uh, taking off of FDR's New Deal. You go back and read about FDR's New Deal and what it did to the country and then start listening to what Cortez is saying about the Green New Deal and know what it will do. Well, here, let me let her talk about it. Here's what she had to say. This is cut number four. Uh, and she was talking about this Green New Deal and taxes. All right, the youngest of those newly elected representatives tells 60 Minutes that Democrats should pursue radical change. 29-year-old New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calls herself a democratic socialist. She supports Medicare for all, wants to forgive student debt, and believes marijuana should be legal. She's also calling for a Green New Deal, a crash program to refocus the U.S. economy on renewable energy. Anderson Cooper asked Ocasio Cortez about the plan and how much it could cost. You're talking about zero carbon emissions, no use of fossil fuels within 12 years? That is the goal. It's ambitious. And How is that possible? You're talking about everybody having to drive an electric car? It's going to require a lot of rapid change that we don't even conceive as possible right now. What is the problem with trying to push our technological capacities to the furthest extent possible? This would require them raising taxes. There's an element where, yeah, there, people are going to have to start paying their fair share in taxes. Do you have a specific on the tax rate? You know, you look at our tax rates back in the 60s, and when you have a progressive tax rate system, your tax rate, you know, let's say from zero to $75,000 may be 10% or 15%, etc. But once you get to, like, the tippy tops, uh, on your 10 millionth dollar, uh, sometimes you see tax rates as high as 60 or 70%. That doesn't mean all $10 million are taxed at an extremely high rate, but it means that as you climb up this ladder, you should be contributing more. What you are talking about, just big picture, is a radical agenda compared to the way politics is done right now. Well, I think that it only has ever been radicals that have changed this country. Abraham Lincoln made the radical decision to sign the the Emancipation Proclamation. Franklin Delano Roosevelt made the radical decision to embark on establishing programs like Social Security. That is radical. Do you call yourself a radical? Yeah, you know, if that's what radical means, call me a radical. No, I'll be happy to. You're really radical. You're crazy. That's what I'll say. You're nuts. She's a Democrat socialist. She admits she's a socialist. What's that mean? That means the government takes 
your money to fund their programs for other people. You're not working uh, for your family any, anymore. You're working for other families as well. Is that the way this country is made to be? And by the way, she goes back and she mentions the way the tax rates were in the 60s. Who tried to change those tax rates? Crickets. Uh, John F. Kennedy. A rising tide lifts all boats. Remember that? That was John F. Kennedy. That, by the way, was a Democrat who had a brain in his head. Not so much for Cortez. And when Anderson Cooper brings up those, you're saying that everybody's going to have to have an electric car in two years. Well, you know, we got to reach for crazy stuff. Radical stuff. We got to do radical stuff. I mean, I, I could go back and play this that again for you. And you'll understand it's not only radical, it can't happen. It won't happen. There are not, I'm going to keep repeating this over and over and over. There's no such thing as a money tree in Washington, D.C. or in your backyard. You have to work to get your money or most people have to work to get their money. A lot of people work get their money, pay their taxes, and their taxes, uh, their first dollars that come out of their paycheck, don't go to help their family. They go to help somebody who doesn't want to get off their butt. Now, are there people who need help? Yes, and we'll help those people. But a lot of the welfare programs now now do more than help people who uh, need help. They keep people in poverty. Make sure, because they, they've taken away their will to work, their will to try to do better. I mean, here's the perfect way to know it. Well, we need the people to come across the border to do the jobs that Americans refuse to do. There's only one reason why you refuse to do a job. One, you got a better job, or two... You don't want the job because you can get the money some other way without doing the job. And as long as we allow people not to work and give them money for not working, you're going to have problems, serious problems. And you're it's just really it's crazy. I mean, I don't understand why it's so hard to, to get get to get this these thoughts through people's minds that we're going to continue the way we're continuing and heading down a road that leads to ruin, just like they did in uh, in South America, just like they've done in Russia, just like they've done in other socialist nations. We are rushing headlong the same way. Nobody ever asked her that question. Nobody asked her, well, what about Venezuela? You know, they were doing a lot of the same things that you're saying you want to see done. Well, they just didn't do it right. Well, where did they do? What did they do wrong? And then, and then listen and say what you're saying is the exact same thing. How are you going to do it right? And now we're back to the same mantra again that we heard from the Clinton administration. You remember that one, uh, Russ? Did you pick it up? You got to pay your fair share, except your fair share now. If you make X amount of dollars, it's going to be, they're going to take 70% of it. 
percent. Oh, you in the middle class, you don't worry. You know, we're going to make sure that you, you know, if you're making your money 10 or 15 percent, that's all we're going to ask of you. But you start getting up on the, the real. Here's the here's the collegiate way that they uh, referred to this. This is an Ivy, Ivy Leaguer, uh, the tippy top. <laughs> if you're in the tippy top, uh, we're going to take 70 percent of what you make. I can tell you this much. What will happen is people will be parking their money offshore again. It'll be out there where they can, <laughs> the federal Do government can't touch cash. it. I'm just saying. Can you believe what we hear now? Cash under the table. And people take this woman seriously. 60 minutes give, are going to give her 20 minutes to talk this BS. I mean, it's pure BS. Everybody's going to have Russ, everybody's going to have an electric car in two years. Okay, and how do we? Uh, how are we prepared to do that? She don't have an answer to that. How long was that piece? Was it over two minutes? They're pretty close. Okay, let's listen to it again. We can't do it right now. Okay, we'll come back and do it after the break. I want you to listen to her again. It's pie in the sky crap. If you're a, a if you're a person who's out there going to college right now and you buy into this, how'd you get in college? Can you add? We can do it today? Okay, we can do it right now. Okay, so here is Cortez again. I want to play this part. Just listen. Tell me how much is this going to cost? All right, the youngest of those newly elected representatives tells 60 Minutes that Democrats should pursue radical change. 29-year-old New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calls herself a democratic socialist. She supports Medicare for all, wants to forgive student debt, and believes marijuana should be legal. She's also calling for a Green New Deal, a crash program to refocus the U.S. economy on renewable energy. Anderson Cooper asked Ocasio-Cortez Cortez about the plan and how much it could cost. You're talking about zero carbon emissions, no use of fossil fuels within 12 years? That is the goal. It's ambitious. And How is that possible? You're talking about everybody having to drive an electric car? It's going to require a lot of rapid change that we don't even conceive as possible right now. What is the problem with trying right, stop to it there. push just, just stop our it. technological capacity? Just stop it right there. Let's let's to- talk about what she's saying. All right, twelve years zero. Listen closely. Zero carbon emissions. Okay, that that's by what are we looking at? Uh, Twenty uh, twelve thirty one. 2031, that's what she's saying. And we're going to have zero carbon emissions. So everybody will be driving an electric car. We'll not be making any uh, power for your air conditioning or for, uh, you know, your electric stove, your refrigerator, your hot water heater, or anything like that uh, by burning any kind of carbon-based fuel. That's natural gas, coal, Whatever, it's all going to be solar, it's all going to be wind, and we already know they've done, they've done, I mean, she says, well, it's going to happen because we're going to do things that we can't even conceive of today. 
Well, you know, Santa Claus just might appear <laughs> down, down the, the, the chimney and bring you everything you want Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I mean, have you not seen the breakdowns that they've been talking about? Let's just name three things that she said. Medicare for all that they want to get to. And they've... Uh, have done the the research on this and it was somewhere around 13 trillion dollars now to pay for that you got to raise taxes and i'm going to tell you what the average middle class schmo like myself and you we're going to pay more than any you know 10 or 15 percent if you're going to have that many trillions of dollars uh that have to be uh expended uh, just to take care of health care. Then you had the new Green New Deal, which she's been referring to. Uh, that is another one that they've been talking about in the trillions of dollars. They've been talking about uh, college loans being uh, just paid off. If people had to borrow money to get, um, go to college, uh, the government's just going to forgive all that. So all that money that we loaned people, loaned, L-O-A-N-D, that means you'll pay back, will now not have to be paid back. They, we're just going to give everybody grace. Oh, yeah, to do that, I guess one, one way she would do it is by taxing uh, and bringing in money from making marijuana legal. That uh, is what she said. But the biggest one is in 12 years to be 0% on carbon emissions. Look, I, I keep up with the, everybody uh, that wants to spend some time of watching what's going on in the world of energy and things of that nature, and I've not heard one scientist say that's possible. It's not possible. Totally impossible. And then everybody's going to dr- be driving around in an electric car. This woman is crazy. She'd tell you anything to get a vote, and, and she's doing it now. And 60 Minutes has given her credibility. It's unbelievable. All right, got to get a break in. Let's do that. Come back, finish up this hour here of the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, something else that uh, has been going on is the Speaker of the House. And we got talking about the Speaker of the House this hour because of her speech that she gave as she got the gavel again. Uh, is uh, her thing calling the wall immoral. The wall is immoral. Shouldn't be doing that. Of course, she has a wall around her house. Uh, You know, Obama has walls around his house. In fact, he's got a lot of different walls. They even block off the street where he lives at, you know, because he's an ex-president, so he's got to have all the protection uh, to protect him from anything happening to him. Uh, that is, you know, what the president has. Uh, Hillary Clinton has a huge wall around her house. So I guess that means they're all immoral as well. Or is it only immoral if you have a wall uh, on the border? And what's the difference about having a wall? Why is that immoral? And uh, having all the high-tech surveillance to supposedly stop people from coming across the border, why is that not immoral? Uh, A couple of sound bites for you 
Uh, just talking about some of the things that uh, they have been they've been talking about. Eric Solwell says a wall is an immoral symbol for our country. Uh, Sarah Sanders yesterday in the briefing uh, talked uh, about that. Talked about uh, the the Speaker of the House and talked about the Democrats. And here's what she had to say about them and the fences. Let you hear about that first. This is a cut number two. Russ, cut number two here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick show. Um, are those are other walls uh, immoral? Cut number two, talking about Sarah Sanders saying offenses are immoral. How about Pelosi? Is she going to go on a crusade to take them all down? Is Nancy Pelosi now that she's been elected speaker uh, willing to make a deal? Do you think? Uh, look, that's a question you'll have to ask Speaker Pelosi, but we certainly hope so. Look, she's got a huge challenge on her hands, and this is going to be a big test of her leadership, whether or not she can bring the far left side of her po- party, some of the radical liberals in her party, together with some of the others that want to see real change and real solutions take place. Can she bring those people together to make a deal? We'll see. Um, I, this is going to be a big moment for her moving forward, but certainly we hope so, because the president's been clear that he wants border security, not just because it's a political talking point, but because it's something that we have to have in this country to protect American people. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, the president made a phone call uh, to two of the sheriff's uh, deputies, as well as the widow of Officer Singh in California, and I can assure you that's something the president never wants to have to do again, and he knows that we need border security to stop that and to prevent that from happening. That's exactly why mm-hmm. he is going to fight for it, and he's not going to back down from it. And Sarah, he, in fact, uh, Officer Singh's brother's going to be with us uh, a little bit later on the show uh, if you guys could be watching and I'm sure they appreciate that phone call uh, Senator Mike Lee brought up a pretty good point last night uh, Nancy Pelosi keeps saying putting up a wall, putting up a fence is immoral. Does that mean she's calling for the removal of the 650 miles of fence that's there right now? When did putting up a fence become immoral? <laughs> That's a great question, and I wonder if she's going to go on a crusade and take down all the fences and walls across this country. I certainly hope not. I'm sure that uh, the people that have them around their homes, the institutions that have them, uh, whether it's the Vatican or anywhere else, are not going to be real happy with the fact that Nancy Pelosi is calling their uh, walls and their security immoral. It's never been immoral to protect people. In fact, it's the absolute first duty that the president and Congress have is to protect the American American people. We know that it's effective. In fact, we know that in this country, in the places that it's been put in, it's 95% effective in stopping illegal immigration from coming across this border. This isn't just about uh, stopping uh, people from coming across. It's about stopping terrorists from coming across. It's about stopping drugs from flowing across the border of our country. Last year alone, there were nearly 4,000 known or suspected terrorists that CBP picked up that came across our southern border. Over 20,000 and adults that were arrested that had prior charges. This isn't about uh, political talking points that Nancy Pelosi is making this a political issue, and this is a protection issue, and she's got to get serious about protecting the people of this country. Sarah, I think it was really important for the president to have Border Patrol agents around him yesterday when he was getting this message across, and we had Brandon Judd, National Border Patrol Council president, on saying he supports the shutdown for security. 
Absolutely. And these are people, the reason that the meeting yesterday that the president had was so important and so impactful, it wasn't because this is something that people want, but this is what the people on the very okay. front lines say that they need. And that's what we heard from them yesterday. Right. And that was the message that we tried to communicate to uh, leadership when they met earlier this week. However, they were very uninterested in listening and continued to in- interrupt the Department of Homeland Security Secretary over and over as she tried to present this information that they have put together based right, on what on, the people on the front lines, whether it's what they're saying yeah. here. And they brought it up about the Speaker of the House. Okay, so if the, what they want to build is immoral, then what has been installed along the border already must have been immoral as well. So are you going to tear that down? Is, is Speaker of the House going to lead the way to, to tell the American people we're going to tear the tear all the fencing down because we can't stand to be an immoral nation? Is she going to take the the the, the uh, wall down around her house? Is she going to do that? Uh, and and you know open up her property to whomever might want to walk onto her property. Same thing with Hillary Clinton. Same thing with a lot uh, of the other people who have uh, walls uh, around their homes and call walls immoral. And I'm with Sanders on this. It's only been in the last six months that anybody has been saying that building, a, putting a fence up or a wall or a barrier around your home or around something that is uh, of value is immoral. Not immoral. Seems to me probably pretty smart. It's the Dave Ellswick Show on a Friday. We'll be back. we got more to talk about politically. And then uh, Tim Lim will join me. Uh, Dr. Lim will come into the studio as well. And we'll continue our discussion here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, moving to the second hour of a Friday show. i got some other things to play about the wall. Get to that in just a moment. But uh, first, something. Pink that, Floyd? That, well, I wish we could play some Pink Floyd. We should play it today because of the chinese because they landed on the dark side of the moon yesterday so we should have played some pink floyd today i've been perfect thing to to play anyway uh this from the ap u.s employers went on a hiring spree uh in december adding a surprising three hundred twelve thousand jobs and providing a dose of reassurance about the economy after a turbulent few months on uh, Wall Street. Looking over here, and right now, the Dow Jones was up 746.94, or uh, 3.1% today. That uh, wipes away the losses from yesterday, and everything went up. Uh, Procter & Gamble's up 2%. John Deere's up 5.3%. Nike went up about 2.1, uh, pardon me, 2.6%. And then, uh, you know, you got, uh, the, you know, the stock market reacting to that. The, the job gains reported today by the Labor Department come despite a trade war with China, a global show, uh, slowdown, and a partial government shutdown now entering its third week. Uh, the nation's unemployment rate rose slightly. It came up to 3.9%, but that's even positive because that's more. that means more people are out looking uh, for work, which is not a, a bad thing. Uh, an average uh, hourly pay improved 
uh, from a year ago by 3.2%. Those folks must not be in radio, huh, Russ? <laughs> anyway, stocks surged on the news along with word that the U.S. and China, again, will hold trade talks sometime next week. And the Federal uh, Reserve Chairman, Jerome Powell, made the statement that the Fed will be flexible in judging whether to raise interest rates further. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average now is up 746.94. Uh, that's an increase of uh, over 3%. And President Donald Trump called the job growth great on uh, Twitter today. The court, hire, uh, the court hiring in December far outstripped the 180,000 jobs investors had been anticipating and uh, maybe that will help ease some of the fears that the economy's expansion, now in the middle of its 10th year, may be coming to an end. Not happening. Now they're starting to talk about another great year in front of us as far as our economy goes. Said uh, Eric Winograd, senior U.S. economist at the investment management firm of Alliance Bernstein, quote, the labor market is very strong, even though the economy appears to be slowing some. Those two things cannot coexist for very long. Either weakening demand will lead firms to dial back the pace of hiring or the robust pace of hiring will lead firms to ramp back up production. In recent weeks, financial markets have plunged amid concerns that the U.S. could be in a recession by 2020. The Dow suffered its worst December since the middle of the Depression in '31. Major companies such as Apple say their sales are being jeopardized by tariffs uh, between Washington and Beijing. Uh, China, the world's second largest economy, is also mired in a slowdown. It's uh, consumers losing much of their appetite for real estate, iPhones. Yeah, that's where the iPhone problem came. Not from tariffs, came from uh, the people in China not buying iPhones. Uh, Ford vehicles and jewelry from Tiffany and company. The U.S. government shut down Trump's attacks on the Fed and its chairman over the central bank's rate increases have also worried investors, though Powell may have eased some of those concerns today when he stressed that he would not resign if the president told him to do so. The uh, strong job growth suggests employers believe that U.S. consumer spending is going to stay robust. Healthcare and education added 82,000 jobs last month. That's the largest jump in nearly nine years. Restaurants and drinking places posted a net gain of 40K. Builders added 38,000, while manufacturers increased their payrolls by 32%. So that's not uh, a lot of part-time jobs that uh, were being, you know, people being hired by Walmart or Pennies or whomever might be out there uh, doing their thing uh, for the Christmas season. So uh, those are really good uh, jobs that we're talking about. Fresh Coat Painters, that's based in Cincinnati, is uh, going to nearly double the 300 employees who paint homes and businesses as it expands this year across the country. The franchisor is also launching an apprenticeship program to attract workers in addition to providing higher pay and benefits. 
uh, Tara Riley, who's the president, said that we realized it was a mindset change. You have to be recruiting rather than hiring. Got to go out and get the good people, basically. Kevin Hassett, White House Council of Economic Advisors chairman, did caution Thursday that jobs report for January could be weak. If the shutdown continues, job totals could be lowered by hundreds of thousands of government employees being temporarily put out of work. So when we see the January jobs number, it could be a big negative. 2018, employers added 2.6 million jobs or an average of nearly 220,000 a month. That according to the Labor Department, at some point, even if the economy remains healthy, monthly job gains will likely downshift to a more gradual pace. Uh, that's because there is a dwindling pool of an unemployed people. There were 6.3 million people looking for a job in December. Uh, That's uh, down from 6.5 million a year ago. People should not get used to numbers like the one we saw this month, said Martha Gimbel, Director of Economic Research at the job site. Indeed, eventually job growth is going to start slowing down. When that happens, people shouldn't begin to panic. Just goes to show that there's jobs out there people want. People want to work. And that's why I like this whole uh, thing about uh, with Arkansas Works having a a, a job requirement. Now, there may be a lot of holes in that, and there are, uh, but uh, it is, I think, forcing some people to get back into the, uh, the workforce. All right, more about the wall when we come back. Got some sound for you that I'd like to play for you. Brandon Judd is a uh, Border Patrol agent. He talked about uh, things dealing with walls and fences. We'll hear what he has to say as we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, so yesterday when the president came out during the briefing at the White House and uh, was talking about the border wall, and I've got three cuts for you here. One with a uh, border uh, security person, a person who's uh, head of the union there along the border, uh, from Vice President Mike Pence and then from the president himself. So real quickly here, let's start it off by you keep hearing the Democrats say that the walls don't work, which – Makes me wonder, why does Nancy Pelosi have such a big one around her house if they don't work? I mean, you don't build a wall unless you want to keep people out, unless you're the Soviet Union and uh, the East Germans, and they built their wall to keep people in so they couldn't go to freedom. They kept them under their thumb. So the bottom line is, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi has to understand walls are put up to keep either people out or keep people in. And they work at doing that. Finally, the wall fell in East Germany back in the uh, uh, end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s. I forget. Was it at the end of the very – it was at the very end of the 80s that it went down. So, uh, you know, the people of uh, East Germany could get over to visit with people from West Germany and seeing relatives they hadn't seen in, you know, 40, 50 years. So with that thought in mind, let's hear from a Border Patrol agent and what he had to say about uh, walls and fences actually work. 
We appreciate President Trump and all of his efforts in getting us those physical barriers. Anywhere that you look where we have built walls, they have worked. That was our next guest standing with the president yesterday in the White House briefing room calling for funding of a border wall or a fence as Washington continues to fight over funding. Here with more is Brandon Judd, president of the National Border Patrol Council. Brandon, I bet in a million years you never thought you would be behind the White House podium in the briefing room making a statement like that. That's a little bit stressful. No, that, that was completely and totally impromptu. We were there for a, for a meeting to discuss border security. And w- there were several points that were brought up. And he said, that's what the American public needs to hear. Let's go tell the American public. You know, he used that platform to get the message out to the American public about how he can secure the border. One thing that is very clear when you're listening to the rhetoric from Washington, D.C., Brandon, is that a number of Democrats, all Democrats uh, in Congress, to my uh, belief, uh, have said things that uh, the wall is immoral uh, and have lined up behind uh, Nancy Pelosi's comments like that, or Chuck Schumer, uh, it's medieval, it does not work. But the White House and the men and women of the Border Patrol feel that what is going on on our southern border is a crisis, and that needs to be addressed. Well, we, we have a bigger crisis now than what we did in 2014. And so when you look at that and, and you say, okay, what is it that we can do to actually keep f- people from physically entering the country illegally? And you have to say walls and fences actually work. And so that's the message that we're trying to get out to people. We're the ones who actually patrol the border. We're the ones who actually see what is and what is not effective. And we're telling Congress this is, in fact, if, this is in fact effective you know who are these experts that you're that you're quoting that's saying that that fences don't work they're absolutely wrong um it's proven we know it right Brandon, i can't think of any time in uh the history of the department of homeland security where frontline uh, men and women like you went to the white house then showed up to make public statements about how you needed a particular part of the legislation to uh, be voted upon well, again, when, when you look at this, uh, I, I wish that people could understand that I have no dog in this fight other than I want border security. I've had the opportunity to speak with the president on multiple occasions, sure. and I wish that they understood that all he wants is for this country to be safe and secure. He's working for the American people. This has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with his desire to secure this country. And so when we do that, when he, when he comes to the front line men and women this is the first president that's ever done that most presidents they talk to the theoretical knowledge those that sit behind desks this president has come to the front line men and women and they've told him this is exactly what we need and this is what works and brandon this is not theoretical to you with the government shutdown you're not getting paid are you I'm not. In fact, I work Christmas morning. I didn't see my family when they woke up Christmas morning. Um, Come Saturday of next week, I will not receive a paycheck. And even though I'm not going to receive a paycheck, I 100% support this shutdown because it's that important. The American public has spoken. They want border security. And the only way that we can get border security is if we put the proper measures in place. And the wall is part of that. There you go. That's pretty clear. That You can't say you can't understand what the man's saying as far as that's concerned. The vice president was on Tucker Carlson uh, last night. He had some things to say. Here's what Mike Pence said. Will the deal that resolves the shutdown include any form of amnesty for people here illegally now? Well, our focus is on 
border security. Well, of course, but the Democrats' focus is Our on focus, getting amnesty for people here illegally. Well, Will you agree to that? What we've completely focused on is keeping the president's promise to build a wall, to pass legislation that provides other support for border security, that gives the people that are enforcing our laws at the border and across the country, enforcing our immigration laws, the resources right. and the tools that they need. There's a lot of people talking about a lot of different ideas. You know, frankly, the better part of a year ago, the president expressed a willingness uh, to deal with the issue of dreamers in a compassionate way. So people who were brought here as children uh, through right. no fault of their own, He's discussed that. It's being talked about. But, but what about look, we're, the, here's the posture who, the president and I have taken ever since, ever since the Christmas holiday. The president sent us to Capitol Hill. I met with Senator Schumer not once but twice. We engaged in good faith negotiations. The president and I canceled all of our Christmas vacation plans. We were here in Washington, D.C. Democrats broke off negotiations about a week ago, but the president's made it clear. We're here to make a deal but it's a deal that's going to result in achieving real gains on border security. And you have no border security without right. a wall. We will have no deal without a wall. If the deal in the end includes allowing people who came here as adults intentionally to break our laws, to become citizens, then wouldn't the message to the rest of us be, why should we obey the law if people who intentionally broke it are being rewarded for it? Can you see why that would be? a perverse incentive for the rest of us. I absolutely can. And I've heard no discussion of that. I've heard no discussion of okay. amnesty related to this. I, I heard some members of the Senate are talking about maybe including dreamers in some sort of a negotiated settlement. Right. And the president's posture on all this is, look, we're at $5.6 billion. We have engaged in good faith negotiations. We've made offers. There's been no counter offers made. But again, we, we heard the Democrat leadership, the new Speaker of the House this morning, again said, no money for the wall. Well, the American people know walls work. Uh, and we heard from border agents today in the Oval Office that, that in areas and sectors where they were assigned to deal with illegal immigration, the flow of narcotics, human trafficking, all the, all the threats to our communities right. that we face at our border, that once they build a wall, you saw illegal immigration, the flow of narcotics drop precipitously. So and the bottom line is you will not accept a deal that does not include a wall, if I'm hearing this right. I think the president's made, made it very clear. Yes. There's no wall, no deal. And, but look, we, we really are prepared to negotiate. We're prepared to talk. We're prepared to right. listen. And, and ultimately, it all begins with the facts. I mean, that's the reason why the president called the meeting in the Situation Room. We'll be meeting again tomorrow with Republican and Democrat leadership. And I want the American people to know that, that you know, this is a real crisis at our border. We made progress last year, and it probably was a result of the fact that the American people elected a new president who delivered a very strong message about confronting illegal immigration. We actually saw a decline in illegal immigration and incursions on our southern border. But in the last 12 months, we've literally seen a dramatic increase in the number of people. 2,000 yeah, people noticed. a day apprehended at our border or found to be inadmissible trying to enter our country. I mean, that represents, as, as much as we were all troubled in recent weeks about the caravans moving north, and there's talks about more caravans, literally 2,000 people a day attempt to come into this country illegally by one means or another. We, we can agree on those facts, come together around solutions, but part of that solution means a wall, it means a barrier in, in, along our southern border, right. and it also means 
technology, drones, the kind of support that our border agents know will, will assist them in doing their job. But but bottom line, if there's no wall, there's no deal. All right. And the president had something to say about the wall, too. Here's what he said. So this meeting was set up a long time ago. It just came at a very opportune time. And I thought uh, we were all sitting in the Oval Office working on different plans and different uh, ways of stopping the problems that we have in our country. And other countries have problems, but nobody like ours. The economy makes it even more so. The economy is bringing people in because we're doing so well with the economy. Unemployment is now 3.7 percent. And uh, that's among the lowest we've ever had, the lowest in 50 years. And among certain groups, it's the lowest historically. So uh, I just appreciate them being here. I said, let's go out, see the press. You can tell them about the importance of the wall. They basically said, and I think I can take the word basically out, without a wall, you cannot have border security. Without a very strong form of barrier, call it what you will, but without a wall, you cannot have border security. It won't work. You see what's just been put out on social media where thousands of people are rushing the border, having a drone fly overhead. And I think nobody knows much more about technology, this type of technology, certainly, than I do. Having drones and various other form of sensors, they're all fine, but they're not going to stop the problems that this country has. We've never had more people wanting to come to the United States, and that has to do with the economy and has to do with a lot of other things. We're, we're doing great as a country, but the better we do, the more people want to come in. So, uh, folks, I just want to thank you very much. It's an honor to be with you, and I'm glad you came. I'm glad we came out here. And first time I've ever done this is the first time I've done it. I've done it for you, and I'm very proud of that because you've done a fantastic job. And I want to thank you all. Chris, thank you very much. All right, so there you got it, the president. And what he had to say is simple, that without a wall, you can't have border security. You can be flying drones 24-7, 365, and a drone is not going to stop anybody for crossing the border illegally. And, uh, you know, we've had Mike Cutler on. We've talked about this. We've had border security uh, guards and talked about it as well. We'll pick it up after the news, which is coming up next. All right. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Dr. Tim Lim has joined me here on the show. Good to have you, Tim. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me in. Typically, I haven't come in to talk culture, and we might get some of that mixed in here. But I will tell you that I want to talk a lot of politics with him today because there's a lot to talk about right now. Uh, I've spent the first hour and a half today telling you, uh, you know, it's like, the, you know, you hear the song, we won't get fooled again. Say a hello to the new boss, same as the old boss. It's the same thing again. You got Pelosi back in as as the chairman of, a, of the House. Uh, you have people like Cortez that said that she wouldn't vote for her, and then she did vote for her. And when people booed her from the gallery, she said, don't hate me because you ain't me. That's what she said. I'm it's not so classy. Up. She's so good at that. Yeah. You know, she thinks she's going to give. Oh, by the way, she was being asked about uh, pay increase because that's coming up again this year for the politicians. And she ran away from the reporters on that. She wouldn't even stay around to talk to them. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you saw this. It transpired a few days ago, but she was bragging about how she was always going to be Alex from the Bronx. And it turned out she's not even from the no, she's, she's not from Bronx. the Bronx. She's from Westchester, yes, which is a very affluent um, community. Yeah, it's 
she is so full of BS, and she is such a big, she's a huge charlatan. She really, really is. Do a little background checking. Okay, so I talked uh, last hour about her uh, Green New Deal that uh, she's come up with. I get. We should probably go ahead and play that piece one more time for the people who who missed it uh, with Cortez. So let's go, pull that up if you will. And she uh, did an interview, ev- evidently, with Anderson Cooper, and so they're floating some stuff out so that we'll hear it. So maybe we'll tune in and and save the dying sixty minutes that is on uh, CBS TV. But uh, you got to listen to what this woman says. If you listen, you understand. There is not very much between your ears. Here she is. All right, the youngest of those newly elected representatives tells 60 Minutes that Democrats should pursue radical change. 29-year-old New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calls herself a democratic socialist. She supports Medicare for all, wants to forgive student debt, and believes marijuana should be legal. She's also calling for a Green New Deal, a crash program to refocus the U.S. economy on renewable energy. Anderson Cooper asked Ocasio-Cortez Cortez about the plan and how much it could cost. You're talking about zero carbon emissions, no use of fossil fuels within 12 years? That is the goal. It's ambitious. And How is that possible? You're talking about everybody having to drive an electric car? It's going to require a lot of rapid change that we don't even conceive as possible right now. What is the problem with trying to push our technological capacities to the furthest extent possible? This would require them raising taxes. There's an element where, yeah, people are going to have to start paying their fair share in taxes. Do you have a specific on the tax rate? You know, you look at our tax rates back in the 60s, and when you have a progressive tax rate system, your tax rate, you know, let's say from zero to $75,000 may be 10% or 15%, etc. cetera. But once you get to like the tippy tops, uh, on your 10 millionth dollar, uh, sometimes you see tax rates as high as 60 or 70%. That doesn't mean all $10 million are taxed at an extremely high rate, but it means that as you climb up this ladder, you should be contributing more. What you are talking about, just big picture, is a radical agenda compared to the way politics is done right now. Well, I think that it only has ever been radicals that have changed this country. Abraham Lincoln made the radical decision to sign the the Emancipation Proclamation. Franklin Delano Roosevelt made the radical decision to embark on establishing programs like Social Security. That is radical. Do you call yourself a radical? Yeah, you know, if that's what radical means, call me a radical. Yeah, I'd be happy to call her a radical. A dumb radical, even at that. (laughs) I mean, some radicals are smart. Yeah, Lincoln was smart on the Emancipation Proclamation. But I got to tell you what, this woman is dumb as a brick. Yeah, I mean, seriously, have you listened to some of the other things that she said? She reminds – I was having this conversation earlier today uh, with someone else, but you have all these people who come from uh, – what has to be going through the constituents' minds when they vote for these particular people, um, it, it's kind of mind-boggling because it's this idea that what they say, even on the surface, is objectively false. What they say is objectively detrimental even to the people who are voting for them. And yet you have people like her and Maxine Waters – 
who always get voted in. And um, on one hand, it is part of the democracy that we have. But on the other hand, it tends to be a reflection, too, of the constituency that decides that they're the best choice that they have for uh, their district. So um, I don't know. Let let her – I don't know what her constituents are thinking when they hear this. I mean, are they rich enough that they can afford what they say? And even if they are, they really want to pay 80% (laughs) in their taxes? Or is this a a shock to them as well? Yeah, it's going to be interesting as it comes out. But in 12 years, zero – Carbon emissions. No such thing. It no such it thing. It can't happen. Uh, cows. <laughs> yeah, cows well, produce yeah, more carbon that. emissions than than uh, most humans can. Well, the the sheep over in New Zealand produce a lot of methane. I can tell you that much. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Uh, in fact, uh, over New Zealand, they're showing their stupidity by starting to to require uh, you know sheep. Uh, I don't know, farmers, I guess, best way to put them, animal husbandry people, that they can only have so many sheep because of... Uh, Methane gas production. Because of sheep farts. I mean, it's just <laughs> the way it goes. Newly minted House Budget Committee Chairman, Congressman John Yarmuth of Kentucky, said today, that the Green New Deal championed by progressives like New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Do I have to say all three of her names all the time? I they, mean, They call her Aok. Aok. Is yeah. Right. Okay, so Aok uh, isn't economically feasible. Oh, wow. Surprise, an surprise. Odd, an honest Democrat here. <laughs> you almost told uh, Hill TV that the committee plans to hold hearings on a number of issues like climate change that could have an impact on the budget, but added that the panel might include Ocasio-Cortez's plan, which was originally created by the activist group The Sunrise Movement. And by the way, I went and checked out The Sunrise Movement. I looked at their website. Nowhere does it say what the Green New Deal does. It asks for money. It asks for your support. But it tells nothing about what you support. That's because if people knew, they wouldn't support it. That tends to be how liberal agendas work. Um, There's nothing there. I was amazed. There's zip, not mm -hmm. even uh, uh, an inkling, nothing. Wow. I am, quote, the idea, for instance, of making every structure in the United States environmentally friendly and feasible is probably something that is totally impossible to do. You think? (laughs) Uh, Quote, I mean, it would be wonderful if you could do that, but nobody could afford that. So I'm not sure what purpose that would serve, but it would probably be worth looking at some of that. That's the scary part. Uh, Yarmuth's remarks come two days after House Democrats Wednesday formally proposed creating a new panel on climate change called the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Oh, my gosh. The panel, well, I heard, I, I played back, uh, if you were lucky enough, maybe unlucky enough, uh, to hear the Speaker of the House's speech from yesterday after she got the gavel and what she had to say uh, in that speech. She mentioned about not climate change, but the climate crisis. So get ready. That's what we're going to hear. Climate, climate yeah. 
climate crisis now. Pretty sure Rush is compiling his sound bites as we speak. It may be. The media is going to start using it as a talking point. Yep. The panel doesn't include many of the features that progressives called for in its structure, and it hasn't been explicitly charged with developing Green New Deal legislation. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told The Hill last month that the committee will instead be, quote, ready for this one? In the spirit of the Green New Deal. (laughs) In other words, they will propose whatever they have to kind of propose to get the progressives and the heavy lefties at least in the fold, so Mm -hmm. to speak, and get their votes. Yeah, because you you basically have two factions of the Democratic Party right now. You have kind of the old guard, and you have these new radicals who are in there. A lot of them are uh, basically offshoots of the Bernie Sanders Democratic Socialist platform. And so what they're having to do right now is walk that tightrope between uh, the extreme left and I don't even want to say centrist left because I don't really think there's – I don't even think that remains as a faction. I do think that they've definitely veered way off center. And uh, even to some of these people, they must be thinking that this is just insanity. You heard about Hank Johnson, correct? Like no. What, so Hank Johnson, he was the person who uh, was railing on about um, Trump supporters and half the country being a bunch of racist, misogynists. Okay, I knew about all that. Et cetera, et cetera. What else does he say now? Well, uh, someone dug up some old clips of him in 2010. He was the one who said that uh, we can't put – soldiers on the island of guam oh yeah because it'll tip over it'll tip over yeah same exact guy that that said that that was back in that was back eight years ago and then you had uh, rashida taleb who was the one who was the mfr the mfr yeah comment about trump and the impeachment Hmm. then you had the bill introduced yesterday that uh they want to abolish the electoral college yes Uh, look the dems want to do that they do and they're 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 serious about that well um on the way in i was jumping back and forth between you and hannity and hannity was talking about how he was actually saying this is actually pretty good 48 hours for trump because now the american public that's seeing the house democrats uh, their cards are on the table i mean and it's insanity it's completely insane um and as people have said before liberals do not succeed. They never get voted into office, and they lose power the more they implement their policies. Republicans lose power when they fail to implement their own. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd go along with that. Mm-hmm. I'd definitely go along with that. Uh, Cortez last month ripped fellow Democrats for failing to take up climate goals she backed as part of the Green New Deal. And I've yet to see these things that they want to do, which supporters envision envision i guess in their minds with unicorns and and uh, i guess uh, rainbows and lollipops but uh, as bringing the country to 100 percent renewable electricity which scientists oh wait oh, i can't say that because i'm a flat earther because i don't believe in climate change <laughs> uh of course you be a democrat you can believe a boy can really be a girl or a girl can really be a a boy, or they can decide that they're asexual, and I guess can make themselves pregnant. But uh, it's you know, but I'm I'm the flat earther. I'm the person who's who's nuts. Uh, to 100% renewable energy, electricity, and decarbonize industries over 10 years. I want to see them make steel without, without any burning, emissions, without burning carbon 
some kind of carbon uh, fuel. I haven't seen it yet. Knowing knowing the people who uh, have been recently elected, uh, maybe they think they're just going to get rare earths from Wakanda and use that to uh, fuel. <laughs> get some of that new uh, that new that new kind of uh, material that they they made Captain America shield out of. Well, right? or they'll just say, "Why can't we just call Tony Stark?" <laughs> I saw that Iron Man movie. And it seems like a good idea. Yeah, okay. Kaisio probably believes that Wakanda exists. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the bottom line in this is is that here's the other thing she said. She said in December, Cortez blamed House leadership for rejecting her climate agenda because it was, quote, too controversial, unquote. The thing that. Call her a radical. It, the thing that really bothers me about it, though, is part of me, I don't want to say feels pity for her, but if she's emblematic of that generation, we're in deep trouble. Uh, these, I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt that there's no maliciousness in their intention, that they're simply uh, misguided or that they were given the wrong information. But holy cow, every time I see her talk, <laughs> it is just one wrong thing after the other coming out of her mouth. And I just think to myself, you came from an affluent neighborhood. You uh, did not come from poverty. You had, you had what they said was a good education. Supposedly. I mean, she has an economics degree um, from Boston. I still don't believe that. Well, it de- <laughs> I think part of it just goes to show how much an education is, is worth. worth. Right. <laughs> correct. Uh, <laughs> and there's, there's coming from someone who has worked in education. Um, just be very careful because sometimes it's not even how much you pay for your education. It's not even where you get your education. It is the meat and potatoes and the quality of what it is that you learn. And can it be used in a pragmatic sense or is it just air? And in her case, I'd say it's just air. Do you think over the last uh, couple of weeks now with the government, what the government, one quarter part of the government shut down, showdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, lo- I love it's like it's all the people that they say are not really important people working for the government. And my, <laughs> I've always asked, why do we need them? But nobody ever answers that question. Uh, the, the bottom line is, is that it, is Trump making some gains when he has these Border Patrol people show up like yesterday and they look? And they say, hey, look, we got to have walls. We know that they work. They've been working, and they've been working for a long time. What's the problem here? So my opinion on that is this. It's only effective whenever the media is forced to cover it. And because um, I know that the mainstream media, they don't like it whenever Trump is able to pull one on them. Um, I don't know the exposure that it's getting on places like CNN or MSNBC if they're broadcasting that where Trump really shines is when he has a gotcha moment where they're forced to cover it, kind of like when he had Chuck and Nancy in the Oval Office right before the shutdown. Oh, yeah. But by the way, in her speech, she talked about they would be having complete transparency uh, in all the, the House meetings and things of that nature. Problem being that this is being said by a woman that got all upset <laughs> and the TV cameras were there and they started talking about border security right. in the Oval Office. And him talking about transparency. Yeah, yeah. Well, so if the president is listening, if someone's listening to uh, us right now, my suggestion would be this. The next time there's a public 
any type of public declaration where there are cameras involved. The president just needs to wheel out one of those televisions that we used to have in school whenever we'd show documentaries. And they should just have on repeat clips of Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer talking about not only the the necessity of border security, but a wall, which has been on tape and is floating around on social media, but it doesn't have the the national attention. Call them out on it. Why doesn't the uh, RNC put together – some ads. Well, it's the RNC. I mean, for heaven's sake. I mean, these are the people who we beyond beyond any logical comprehension. The Utahns were able to get Mitt Romney into the Senate, and what does he do on his first day as senator? Write an op-ed bashing Saying the that, president. No, I'm not running for president, but maybe I will. Yeah, and to, <laughs> to uh, Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie McDaniel's credit, she called out her uncle, which I thought yeah, was a pretty good. bold move. But the problem is that the GOP is still led by rhinos. I mean, they, they are still neoconservatives in the movement. Um, I hate to say it, but it reminds me of Reagan, how during Reagan's presidency, he was thwarted a lot by his own um, Republicans. And it wasn't until after he left that he was lionized because pe- hindsight's twenty twenty. People saw the good that he did, and they liked Pelosi him for it. Pelosi quoted Reagan. Reagan yeah. today. Mm-hmm. Of course, she tried to make it sound like he was all about al- allowing the illegals to come in. And, of course, that was nowhere near the truth. Right. Of course, it's spin. He they, got, they like he got that stuff screwed out of by Tip O'Neill and by uh, Schumer mm-hmm. at that time. Take a break. We'll come back. Uh, we've got, of course, Dr. Tim Lim here in the studio with me. We'll talk politics. You can get involved at 823 823- Oh nine six five. All right, we got you know when I get to these times where I'm like a minute and a half away from news, I like to bring up a, a story, just to kind of get your interest and then bring you back for the next hour. You see this uh, story today on the, da- the Daily Caller, Russ? A woman who has been com- uh, comatose for at least a decade gave birth in a Phoenix nursing facility on December 29th, sparking a police investigation into possible sexual abuse. Her caretakers had no idea the woman was pregnant until she was pretty much giving birth, a source familiar with the situation said. From what I've been told, she was moaning and they didn't know what was wrong with her. The baby boy she gave birth to is healthy, but the woman remains in a vegetative state caused by a near-drowning incident years ago. Patient had around-the-clock care, and many staff members at Hacienda Healthcare, where she lives, could have entered her room alone. Possible sexual abuse. What do you think? you think there's a possibility of... Of that, Russ? there's possibilities. She's a man too. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's just crazy. Possibility. How about probability? With a break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, moving into the uh, four o'clock hour. Man, I can't believe it's already four o'clock. We're moving along quickly. Oh, I should say that I saw Escape Room last night. It was fun. I didn't. Is that a movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's good. It's. uh about, I mean, the escape room experience is a big experience right now for a lot of people. I see a lot of stuff on Facebook of people posting 
went to this escape room or that escape room. It's a pretty cool movie, except that as I, I got through watching it, and I had it at a solid, solid B, but the last 10, 12 minutes made me give it a C plus. Is it a horror movie? No. Oh, it's not? Okay. No, it's a, it's, it's a high-tension kind of thing. Okay. Nothing. There's no, like, bad blood or anything like that. There's no ghosts or anything. Uh, it's it's playing the, the game, Escape Room, and it's pretty good. And, okay. the, and the reason it's happened, except that they bring in this last clip of, of the movie, and it's like you're watching it, and they could have ended it. Mm-hmm. It would have been perfect. But they decided, well, you know what? We can make this into a sequel. Oh, yeah. And so they tacked on six months later. They're still in the escape room. <laughs> yeah, no, they're out. They're out. It's too, It's I won't say how many people, but it's some people that escaped through the uh, escape room and they're meeting. And they said, don't. Uh, one lady saying, they, they killed some of our friends. Don't. You know, can we just let this go? We've got to go and find out who's behind this and stop them from doing it. And then all of a sudden it cuts from there and there, there's a plane flying and then you find out that it's the people who did the escape room and they're getting ready to go after this lady, okay, that is wanting to go after them and, and the other people who survived. And I'm like, you didn't need that. <laughs> just leave that go, yeah. you know. And let the let the movie stand as is, just like they did, you know, uh, Happy Death Day. I love Happy Death Day, and now they're going to have Happy Death Day too. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so uh, they didn't set that up immediately for a, a sequel, and and I think this movie will make a little bit of money. I think it's a it's really entertaining, but you screwed the whole pooch when you put that. You tacked on. I, I got to believe that was tacked on because it just breaks up the whole continuity. Well, and you don't do that unless you're so self-assured that you're going to get a sequel. Because yeah. if you don't, then you look the fool. Because it's kind of like, why did they put that in there if there was no sequel that was to yeah. be planned anyway? Are you yeah, that confident? they've been told that right. there's going to be a sequel. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me, just having, without having seen the movie, it reminds me of that movie um now you see me about the magicians yeah they kind of did the same thing at the end where so up until this point the movie has been pretty grounded in reality it's just magicians doing magic tricks and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and then at the end mark ruffalo opens like the magic carousel or something with like blinding light and it's like oh and magic's real and that's how it ends setting you up for a sequel and you're thinking what like, what kind of ending was that? Yeah, that was so why bizarre. do we need that? Yeah. You know, and it, it doesn't make it. And that's the same thing that happened with this. It, it just, it felt tacked on. I think it probably got tacked on because they, they watched the movie after it was done and said, you know, this is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully we'll get a sequel out of this. Well, let's tack on something that will let us easily move in. So now it's going to be like, you know, they're after uh, the, the group uh that's out there for Resident Evil or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the Umbrella Corporation, you know, that's out there building uh, escape rooms for uh, people who owe, own uh, have a whole lot of money and want to watch people die on TV, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what it's about. I mean, they've done this stuff a million times, but a uh, bottom line is it just was stupid that they tacked that on. If they had left that off, I'd give it a solid high B. 
I really would have. It was fun to watch. I enjoyed it. Although, if you're listening and you were sitting to my right, because you happen to notice my wife and I sitting there watching the movie, you who couldn't keep your mouth shut, I bet you this is what's going to happen. I bet you that's going to happen. Shut up the next time you go to a movie, okay? Would you just shut your pie hole? <laughs> where did you Where did you watch it? I, I was at uh, I was over in Cabot. You were okay? Yeah, that's where I go. I mean, it's the closest place and got great theaters and food's the same as it is at so Riverdale Ten. Let, whatever. Let me let me let's take a minute here to vent about that situation since All you right, brought here it we up. Go. Okay, let's vent about this. So, if anyone is listening in the Little Rock area and you're either an entrepreneur or you have a theater, you own one, uh, this is my challenge to you. You will make a lot of money if you implement this policy. So I do a lot of business in Texas, and when I'm in Texas, I watch movies at Alamo Draft Houses. Now, Alamo Draft Houses, they serve food. Uh, they treat you very well. They have nice luxury recliners. But that's not the reason why I go, and that's not the reason why other people go. The reason we go is because at the, at the start of the movie, they tell you several times they have a strict no texting, no talking policy. And they relish, right before the, the trailer, they relish in this advertisement they play for their theaters where it's nothing but angry phone calls from people who are kicked out of their theaters for talking and texting. And they're hilarious. You'll have a, a lady who will leave a voice message and say, I just want to say that the people who were here were really rude. I was just talking to my boyfriend and you kicked me out. Uh, who does that? Good, good day. And so it's just nothing but clip after clip of just angry people. And you're just cheering because you're like, this is what you need to be doing. I don't, I mean, Alamo Draft House is making hand over fist in money, just kicking people out of their theaters for talking and texting. They even go so far as to, after five o'clock, you cannot bring any kid that is under six years old into the theater. They will not let you because kids going to cause an interruption, maybe cry. Uh, that's going to disrupt the movie and they're going to have to um, send you out anyway. So you yeah, might as I'm well. W- I'm with them on that. Look, I've raised eight children. I put off going to when I had young kids. I would never go to the movie and it's, take one of them. It, it, it's rude to other people. It sure is. They yeah. spend their, it costs, as everybody knows, it costs a little bit of money to go see the movies now. Not only do ticket to the movie, but if you buy, you know, a good sized popcorn and a soda like I do, you're you're talking you're getting up into the thirty five forty dollar range. So I think that if. Again, if you own a theater and you put that policy up there, you are going to make a lot of money because I'll tell you this. Uh, I'm not going to say which theaters I've been to. There were two um, in our local area here in Little Rock that have recliner seats that are really nice. I can't begin to tell you how many free tickets I got just by leaving the theater and telling the manager. I During the whole movie, I told this lady next to me to quit texting. I called, told this other guy to quit talking and they wouldn't stop. I had a terrible experience because I'm one of those people where, and I'm not alone. There are people when you go to watch a movie, you're not just going to watch the movie. It's the experience of seeing it. Mm-hmm. You're in a nice recliner, reclining seat. You have a big screen. You have your popcorn. You're closed off to the world. You want to focus on the movie. When you got some idiot to your left with a bright light <laughs> flashing on their screen because they're busy texting or right. going on Facebook or something, I didn't pay for that. There, there should be a policy in place where people like that should be booted out, thrown out of the theater, told not to come back, whatever. And so one of them, I, I remember a movie specifically. It was Thor The Dark World twice. I went to go see the movie twice because the first time uh, it was just this group of people and they were just yucking it up. And I just said, hey, can you guys be quiet? 
they want they just completely ignored me i gave them like three warnings and then uh, i just said I'm just, i know what i'm gonna do after the movie's over i went to the manager i told them got their ticket to go watch the movie went back to go see another movie so it wasn't thor it was uh it was robocop <laughs> and it happened again oh the remake the remake you should have have been discussed that you would even go for a remake of robocop it was anyway. free though because oh, i had okay. the ticket all right so all right but then it happened again and then so i went and complained and actually we never went back to the theater I'm actually still holding on to a ticket because uh, I just thought to myself, I don't know why it's so hard to have that policy. Well, I'll tell you what uh, probably is the problem is that most of the people who work at a theater are young people. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be very difficult for them to walk into a theater and uh, and tell them to turn off their phone or they're going to remove them or uh, go ahead and just say, hey, I've come back here twice now. You're gone. Mm-hmm. They'll have a hard time dealing with that. You would, you are literally going to have to have a police officer that's on, on duty. Well, I know for a fact why uh, that theater I was talking about. I know why they didn't remove anyone from their from their theater. It's because the type of people, the type of youth that were talking and texting during the movie. Right. You, if you try to take them out, they're gonna pull a gun on you. I'm just saying, or it's just a, make a huge scene. Make a huge scene, right? Uh, and so, what you're saying is correct because I remember that. I think it was that three months after that, it was there was an, it was in the paper like, oh, there was like an, a violent incident that happened at the theater, and I just thought, then I know the one you're talking about because I don't go there any longer. Exactly, be, exactly because of that. Reason. And it's like this is West Little Rock. Yeah. Like, well, what in the world are you guys doing? I mean... It's I, what they're not doing. It's Yeah, exactly. So, for whoever gave Dave a hard time at the theater yesterday, we don't like you people. <laughs> yeah. Please, just, you know, have some respect. Right. You know, if you want to watch... If you want to talk during a movie, stay home and watch something on DirecTV or something like that and talk to your mate or to your lover, your mistress, or whatever, whoever that person was with you, and and leave it at that. But do not go to a place where people are spending their hard-earned money to go see a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was very happy that the last movie I did see, Mary Poppins, didn't have anything like Great that. Great movie. Yeah, that was, that was very enjoyable. Bumblebee, I did have someone uh, at exactly 10 o'clock from me down two aisles who was on their phone and i know it because of that bright blue light that mm-hmm. you think that no one can see but we can all see it because we're sitting behind you uh and you know i told my wife i said last year i think we only saw five movies in the theaters i there's nothing right now that is occurring in the behavior of patrons in movie theaters that makes me want to go see movies which is why you know you know i have talked about it i typically wait i wait weeks before i go see a movie i'm just not the, the whole experience that way it's not overflowing with a bunch of teenagers and stuff that are talking right and adults that are talking mm-hmm. and adults that are on social media yeah it's not just teenagers i wish i could say it and zero it down to that but that's not the case nope all right so ruby rose made her small screen debut as batwoman during the cw's arrowverse event last month now i've talked about how culture influences real life all right, and that's what Breitbart always taught. Culture flows downstream to politics. They're going to be uh, a spinoff series now for Batwoman. Mm-hmm. Here is the press release. Quote, armed with a passion for social justice and a flair for speaking her mind, Kate Kane, 
rose, soars onto the streets of Gotham as Batwoman, an out lesbian and highly trained street fighter primed to snuff out the failing city's criminal resurgence. But don't call her a hero yet. In a city desperate for a savior, Kate must overcome her own demons before embracing the call to be Gotham's symbol of hope, unquote. An out lesbian, I love that, plus you got on top of that, right out of the very first sentence, a passion for social justice. So for people listening, let's give some backstory on on, uh, Kathy Kane. So Batwoman, when she was created, Kathy Kane was not a lesbian. That was a recent thing that was done by the writer uh, Greg Rucka, who is a very, very left-wing person, very very rude on social media, hates the president. Um, He recreated Batwoman as that character. So the press release is not inaccurate, and it's not breaking new mold. It's it's who the character is. But this is where I always have debate. Like, okay, in the the comics industry, even people who are pretty conservative – they're very wishy-washy on this subject because uh, I'll tell them, I'm like, well, I do have a problem with that. And they say, yeah, she might be a lesbian, but the book is good. I don't care if the book is good. <laughs> yeah. This is this is a part of uh, of social engineering. This is a part this, of – This is the part I was trying to point out to people yesterday. Correct. And it's this idea that, well, if you just get rid of the fact that they're a lesbian – the book is actually good. It's like, well... Well, the book is good even if they're not a lesbian. Right, exactly. And so it's this idea that... But you'll notice that what they're trying to do is whenever there is a political agenda, if they're smart about it, it is as subtle as possible. And before the Christmas break, uh, I know we kind of... I had that tirade talking about Into the Spider-Verse. Yes. And the reason I had that tirade is because these smart, the smart Hollywood filmmakers, they will not hit you over the head with their agenda. They'll shoehorn it uh, in the very in a very subtle way, so that you accept the whole package, and there's a kernel in there, and they want that kernel to be part of it to and germinate. To germinate exactly, and the reason why this irks me with regards to Batwoman is I have a lot of people saying, "Well, the book is good." It's like it is, but notice what they did to get you to accept the premise. So you might be a person who you think is of moral character. You might not agree with um, the LGBTQ agenda. But you did accept it because you had to accept it if you want the entertainment that goes with it. And I am pretty much an absolutist when it comes to that. I don't like it. If I see any drop of it, I, I disregard it completely. And so it's like, well, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's like, well, let's put no, it this way. because they've, <laughs> they've made sure that it became an overarching theme right. by bringing it in. Correct. And they can't help themselves. Because once you accept that, then you accept a lot of things that come with it. And one thing that I know I don't think she did in the book was in the book she was not a social justice warrior. So she actually fought like crime and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But notice how once they get you to accept that, then it's very easy for them to suddenly transform her into a social justice warrior. And we fall for it all the time. Like, for example, I fell for it because I like Spider-Man. And looking at all the trailers and stuff, I didn't think I was going to like the movie. But even I was kind of suckered into it because I was just like – well, I have to go watch it because I like Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. He's been around forever. Right. And I watch it and I just get disgusted by it because I was like, you make you, – you have it so that I have to accept all of these things and you're using as a Trojan horse basically for, for 
me to give you money to advance your agenda. And see, you, you made a perfect example of you've got to hold back your money. If, if foul language bothers you, then don't spend your money to go see a movie that's got a bunch of foul language because the movie makers will think that's one of the things that drew you to the movie because they put the foul language in there for a reason. Got to keep that kind of stuff in mind. Well, and the other thing is this. I know we're approaching a break yeah, really we quick here. break. Okay. We'll uh, keep Let's it. Do a tick. We'll do the break, and then you can pick it up. All sure right? will. Okay. Give something for the people to come back and hear it. we got the Dave Ellswick Show with you. 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, so... I broke in and uh, broke up the thought of Dr. Tim Lim here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'll let you go back, pick up where you're at, and tell us more. So what I was telling, what I was about to tell uh, listeners out there, and Dave and I were talking about here in the short break, was the other thing that happens in um, in the comic book world, at least, is that you do have some people, actually a lot of people, who are hired as writers and editors, not because of their qualifications, but because of their identity, whether that be um, because they're LGBTQ plus zero minus, you know, AXY, uh, <laughs> whether they're uh, or if they're liberal, which is a big one, or whether they're uh, radical in terms of their views, but they produce good work. And the big point of contention is I have a lot of uh, friends and acquaintances who are on the right and they'll review this work and they'll say, yeah, I know this person is uh, was hired not because of merit but because of their identity, but man, their stuff is good, so go buy it. And my argument is you don't buy it. And the reason you don't buy it is because – so the original point of contention is that these people are not being hired on merit. They're being hired on politics. The more you support their books, the more you enforce this idea that that's okay reason we're losing out on the culture war is because we live by the rules constantly. We are the ones who don't look at your politics. We don't look at anything. We look at how you're able to produce. And so we are playing a fair game where it's like, no, I don't care what your politics are. I'm going to hire you because we feel like you're qualified. Meanwhile, the left, they're playing by this rule of, yeah, we're just going to hire based on identity. So yeah, it's a different it's a different measuring stick. Right. You and, know, I, I agree I don't care if if a person wants to win, wear women's underwear to work or something, as long as they're not showing it off or whatever when they come to work, and it doesn't show up in their work. Right. But here here's the big difference. But if you're hiring them because they wear women's underwear, now you got a problem. Yeah, and the counter-argument I hear is, well, what if they both do the same amount? What if they both produce the same quality of work, uh, regardless of what they do? Mm. Fine. But here's the difference. In the case of, say, uh, Marvel Entertainment or Marvel Comics, when they're hiring everyone based on identity, regardless of their output, you are just reinforcing that behavior. You're just saying to them, you know, oh, well, we don't care why you're hiring them. Like, we just like the fact that you're putting out good quality books. So that keeps on going. Hold on, because it leads into a much bigger uh, discussion, I believe. We'll continue it here on the Dave Ellswick Show after the news. API Roofing Home Solutions excited to announce that they've acquired Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Services. And uh, if you've been a customer of Tommy's, rest assured that PI Roofing intends to continue providing the highest quality gutter cleaning services at a great value to you. And along with that purchase by PI Roofing and Home Solutions, if you've been a customer of Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Service, you can expect to get even more now because if something goes wrong with your 
uh, your roof or you need something done in your home, then uh, you can turn to the team at PI Roofing as they offer their comprehensive roofing and home repair expertise. To learn more about it, just go to their website, piroofing.com. All right, Dave Ellswick, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Uh, Dr. Tim Lim is here as well. Uh, we've been kind of mixing in a, a lot of politics uh, with uh, with culture. When we say culture, we're talking movies, TV, and whatever. Uh, let me just support what uh, Dr. Lim has been saying, what Tim has been saying. Let me take you back to the 70s. And on television at that time, I think it was it was CBS at the time, they were the uh, network. They were number one, big time. And they had shows like the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, they had uh, Green Acres. They had, I'm trying to think about all the shows that they had uh, at that time, uh, Mayberry RFD and, and others. And... Uh, and, and they were crushing, I mean crushing, the competition. All of a sudden, from one year to the next, this, this, the, the network who had been the number one network suddenly moved from this family-friendly kind of rule uh, shows that they had and decided to bring us all in the family, Maud, I'm trying to think of, yeah, you can go on and on and on. I mean, the Jeffersons was a spinoff of All in the Family. Uh, you, you just had all these shows that came on that were totally different from being family-friendly to family dysfunctional uh, to racist to all kinds of stuff. And if you look at society and where it went, from the 70s to the 80s, you can see the effect that television had on society. This is why, you know, I'm, I'm just saying that Andrew Breitbart was absolutely right when he said that culture is upstream from politics. It also teaches the people who are watching television how they're supposed to think. It's a subtle way of brainwashing you, and they do a good job of it. And Norman Lear, if you know anything about Norman Lear, is one of the biggest leftists around. He changed America. He really, really did. He changed America. And that's kind of what the Democrats are doing as well now, and they're doing it from a political— we're, we're kind of in the nutcracker right now. you got culture feeding us a bunch of B.S., that Batwoman is a lesbian. Batwoman was never a lesbian, all right? It, it just wasn't. This is something that the people in Hollywood believe that they must embrace and that you must embrace it as well. And so they're trying to, to get you to accept it by watching their their shows. And making now, it cool. Yeah, and making it, making it cool. Why do you think kids are so, con, are so uh, confused about sexuality right now? It's because of all the bizarre uh, things that they're being presented with. And and they don't even realize the hypocrisy of it. You have, for example, the LGBT movement. Let's, let's not include the other letters in it. If you believe in the agenda of the LGBTQ plus whatever uh, movement, 
you also accept that there's multiple genders, which they always say. They always say, well, it's not just limited to two genders. There's agender, genderless, gender fluid, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, even in their acronym, B is for bisexual, yeah. which assumes that there's only two genders, male and female. Um, you were talking about the degradation of culture through from the 70s to the 80s. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I always point out, and even though there's aspects of this that are entertaining, um, it's always a slippery slope. For example, you have The Simpsons, which introduced Homer Simpson as kind of this dysfunctional father. And he comes through a line of dysfunction of dysfunctional fathers. Uh, you have, for example, Family Guy, where Peter Griffith is himself dysfunctional. So these father figures who don't really they, – they don't know what they're doing. Now, when I was guest hosting for you one time, I brought in a friend of mine, Dr. Uh, uh, – Professor Michael Kreitzer up in Virginia, and he says that in any type of storytelling, there's only two types of heroes. You have cathartic motivational heroes and aspirational heroes. Okay. Cathartic motivational heroes are heroes who they they lead the hero's journey because they stumble all the time and they don't quite know where they're going. So the prototypical example of this is Spider-Man. He's always guilty. He actually starts his adventures by making a big mistake and his uncle ends up dying. And so as we journey with him, he's trying to live up and aspire to be someone, but he's going to make mistakes. Like great power. Correct. All right. And then, you, and then you have you have aspirational heroes, like for example, um, Captain America and Superman. The idea is that their goodness is so intrinsic to them that people look up to them to be aspired to. And if we're looking at our culture and our media, father figures in the type of environment that we want to be in, they should be aspirational. That's correct. We we want to aspire to be like them. And in entertainment... I'll give you a good example. Just roll back a couple decades before, Father Knows Best and a lot of the other shows that were on at that time, Dad had the answer. Right. And he was the strong male figure of the household. I think it's like in Last Man Standing, too, with Tim Allen... I think a lot, a lot of a lot of that was the a lot same of it was way. the same way, and as we talked about before the break or before um, the Christmas holidays, one reason I didn't like Into the Spider Verse at all was it was so predictable. It was this idea that at some point in his life, Peter Parker would be an aspirational hero. He would get to the point where he's so revered um, as a as a heroic person that even his subordinates wouldn't would look at at him like that. But what do we get? We get the divorced, overweight loser mm-hmm. Spider-Man. We get the Peter Griffith, Peter Parker. And this is all intentional. <laughs> like uh, I, A lot of people, because we're consumers of culture, we don't get to see behind a curtain and see how things are going on. But I can say, as an artist and as someone you who has worked in I have seen one. behind a curtain. Yeah. I mean, it, it, nothing, nothing that involves craftsmanship is done haphazardly. There, there is a meeting room somewhere where someone says, how do we depict Peter Parker? And you know that there was someone who said, oh, let's depict him as, um, you know, strong and heroic and bold. No, let's depict him as a loser. Or or somebody said, you know, let's have him strong and bold. But you know what? Uh, You know, gay people are starting to come out of the closet. Let's make him gay, Gay, too. Right. Exactly. And you have to look at these things in in that lens. You have to think to yourself, when a decision like that is made, ask yourself, why? Like, why Why was it done like that? Hollywood, despite the fact that they come up with some pretty ridiculous ideas, there are boardrooms of people who do nothing but think about this stuff and let it percolate, and they have to decide on how something has to be told. And these things are not done haphazardly. There's a lot of money at stake when these things occur. When you make a, a movie and you spend 
you know, well north of $100 million, you want to make sure you don't put something in that's going to tick people off. Yeah, exactly. So these are all things that are food for thought. Um, I always say that we – the one thing that's kind of frustrating to me is that I actually have never been a really political person, not up until 2016. Um, but a lot of the times it is that you are forced into politics beyond your will simply because your culture <laughs> becomes political, whether you like it or not. And when you start to see that encroach upon your entertainment, that's when things become disturbing because you realize that the agenda is a lot deeper than than people think. Yeah, think about this. Look how politics has infiltrated sports now. Yes, exactly. An apolitical uh, pastime. I mean, if you think about the heart of sports, and I'm not a sports aficionado myself. I am. <laughs> sports revolves around the idea that, you know, it's not even like a good and evil thing. Yeah, it's you the, idea the of team athletes. you follow and the team you don't. Right. And uh, who's going to win? That's right. what it all comes down to. Mm-hmm. All right. But they've now made, okay, we're going to take a knee before the football game or I'm going to I got my Twitter account so I'm going to tell you how exactly I feel about politics and all the rest. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I mean be honest. I don't care how well do you hit when bases are loaded and you're down by one and it's the ninth inning and it's a 3-2 count. That's the stuff I care about. Have you heard uh it was in the news yesterday but uh, I was listening to Sebastian Gorka talking about it. There is um I want to say that he's an NBA player and from New York. And apparently he's a he's a critic of the Turkish president. So there's actually a ban on him in Turkey and actually an arrest warrant, arrest warrant if he ever comes back to the country. He's the only person in the starting lineup of 10 people on his team where he has no Nike endorsements. And it all has to do with the fact that uh, it's leftist politics. It's the idea that why am I the only person here with an endorsement? Well, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of Nike stores in Turkey and yeah. you know, if we give you an endorsement – and it's one of those things where they were endorsing you and your political views, and yet you have Colin Kaepernick, right? And so, in the sports world, you have these people who are leftists, and even though sports is apolitical, I would argue that because a lot of your sports fans come from um, places such as the South, because it's a pastime. I mean, you have small towns in America where uh, the whole community almost revolves around things like high school football and high sure. school basketball and baseball it pulls the unity of the community together correct and the left is trying to basically bring it to where it's it's mostly a leftist institution and with the whole thing with the bending the knee and colin kaepernick and stuff like that i think that's the reason why i think a lot of that stuff is disgusting because they end up trying to pervert culture and make it so that it's always been that way and we said in comics too and if you don't think it doesn't have an impact Look at the peewee teams that have these kids that are playing peewee, you know, Pop Warner football or whatever, and they're five, six, seven years old taking the knee instead of standing for the national anthem. It's gross. It's so gross. It's disgusting. You're already destroying the foundational truths that they should have in their lives for a lie. Mm Mm-hmm. That's and and it only and it and then you think about this. You take the same pee wee team and have them gather in the middle of the 
field and bow their heads and say a prayer. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. That they'll start throwing as much changing. They're changing. And um, I think you and I have talked about it. The one thing that worries me about Texas is, for example, when Trump won in 2016, he won Texas, but not by a huge margin. It was very, very... It, it was enough that nip to be, and tuck at times. It was a nail biter. Same thing that happened recently with um, Florida. With uh, not Florida, but uh, Beto O'Rourke versus oh, Cruz. Yeah. Oh, Cruz, Cruz yeah. should have won that by a hard, a higher margin. And it was interesting because when I saw the results come in, you could see this Texas area all red, and it was like this blue snake coming in from the su- the south, waking, making its way up that thirty five corridor, coming up from Houston. Correct. Yes. And uh, so, talking to my friend this morning, we were talking about um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's plan and how her constituents in New York, some of them were already complaining. Like, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't vote for this. I didn't right. want you to do this. And so, <laughs> I told my friend, I said. Uh, you know what's going to happen is those people they're going to get fed up if they if that was ever implemented in any form they're going to get fed up they're going to move to Texas and they're going to vote Democrat yep that's what always that's happens that's what's happening right now but it's happening because the people are coming in from California that's mm-hmm. happening in Arizona we've seen this playing out in Arizona these people come it's like it's like they're uh, what's the name that who was the lady who carried the disease around Typhoid Mary. Typhoid, yeah, they're like typhoid Marys. They they run from California because they don't like the policies, but they don't realize they have been, you know, infected with that disease, and they bring those types of thoughts to uh, Arizona politics. And now you got the same thing happening again. They actually had so there was a person. I don't think they live here anymore. Last I know, they moved, but um, they were. They were an art instructor in Vermont, and they came here in, like, 2007. And um, at the time, I was still a student over at UALR, and they ended up teaching art over there. And we had some mutual friends, and they went to the same church. And I just remember going to his house, and he had all of these uh, uh, signs up. And at the time, it was Obama who was running for president. Right. And I said, well— you came from Vermont, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, can I ask what brings you down here? It's like, oh, cost of living was terrible in Vermont. You know, I loved it, but just couldn't afford anything. <laughs> and I, I looked at And why was that? Exactly. And I, and I just remember as a student for the first time, not being very well versed in politics, I just, you know, scratched my head. And I thought to myself, but yet you're voting against, you're voting for the very same policies that, that made you leave. Made you leave in the first place. So you want to, you want to fundamentally transform this new place that you're in into the place that you came from. I, I don't know. It it just boggles my mind. Well, there's no there's no rhyme nor reason for some of it. To be honest with you, you try to figure it out, and you will drive yourself crazy trying to figure it out. I'm just I'm just telling you. Why is Florida? The way it is, it used to be solid red, and now if you're from the you know if you're from the Miami area in that specific area and up to towards just about starts cutting off at at Tampa and Orlando, it kind of butts up against it. It's very very blue to purple. Mm-hmm. You get to the Panhandle and it's still blood red. Yeah, and and that's what. Uh, people were asking me to be watching the the last election there for 
the governor and the senatorial campaign, and they said, man, the Republicans are getting pummeled. And I said, well, all right, you're looking at the polls closing right now at uh, 7 o'clock, and it's 6 o'clock here, which means it's 7 o'clock on the eastern time zone of Florida. The central time hasn't started hasn't closed their polls yet so you're not seeing their votes yet watch it all change then yeah and and it did the same thing happened in 2016 because i was watching the election results live as they were coming in and i remember cnn they really wanted to call florida for hillary because they were looking at that big sea of purple and blue coming up yep. through um the the south mm-hmm. and then the moment the panhandle results came in it all went topsy-turvy because yep. it was like you said, blood red. And those people turn out, and that's why they get upset when people start calling the race before all the polls are mm-hmm. closed in the whole state. And the reason it's changing is because you got so many snowbirds coming in from up north who bring their infected mines down into their state. I'm just telling you, it's having an effect. You know, doggone air conditioning. What can I say? So Dave Ellswick show. I'll explain that remark when we come back. One oh one one FM. The answer. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick show. Final hour of a Friday show. Phone line is open at two three zero nine six five. And we were talking about uh, that guy's a uh, congressman, right? Yeah. Okay, Hank Johnson. Where's he from? I don't recall. Okay, but he's the one who thought. We couldn't put any more troops on Guam because if we did, it would get it out of balance and it would slide off the top of the two extinct volcanoes and into the South China Sea, evidently. Uh, I have to laugh because we knew that wouldn't happen because what we would do as military members, uh, everybody would run real hard to one end of the island and as the other end of the island would start going down, you know, where we were at, start going down. Then we'd all run really fast to the other end of the island, and it would come back in equilibrium. Yeah, it's like a seesaw. And we did that every day. We did that every day. That's that's the only reason we were on Guam. Mm-hmm. Keep it from sliding into the ocean. I think you should tell uh, Congressman Johnson. I'll, that. I'll write him. Then. Yeah, I'll, write him and tell I'll him. Write to him. I haven't done anything like that lately because they make it so difficult to do it anymore. Because you got to tell people that you you know you're recording them or you you got them live on the air or whatever. I used to call people and not say that. In all transparency, I would call them up and start asking them questions. Um, my favorite was right after 9-11 when France said we couldn't use their airspace uh, to uh, attack Iraq. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I got myself, I uh, got a hold of the um, embassy in Washington, D.C., and I was trying to get to the ambassador and I, I got as far as his personal secretary, a guy that he had uh, that I guess was the final gatekeeper because he had a bunch of other people I had to get through. And uh, we got to him, and I said, well, listen, can you talk to the ambassador? I, I, I had some jokes, and I just wanted him to rate them for us. And, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> this guy, whatever reason, he said, okay. And I said, all right. Uh, this one here, it's, a, it's an ad for uh, a rifle carried by French soldiers in World War II on sale, and it says, great condition, dropped only once. <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of, hmm, well, kind of thing. And I, I said, okay, well, how about if I try this one? 
um, all of the the trees were planted along the, the Champs Elysees, so that the Nazis could march in the shade. <laughs> Sorry, that was the Via Aurelia in Italy. Well, they weren't they weren't happy with that. This Napoleon's troops okay. were that way. Okay, so the final one was okay. I said, "You're not laughing." Let me. I I'm sure this last will make you laugh. And he goes, he said something about Americans to me, and I said, okay, so if there's a World War III, the loser has to keep France. (laughs) (laughs) He just hung up on me. It was great. It was really good stuff, though. I mean, but I couldn't get to him. But I used to do that kind of stuff all the time. Can't do it anymore. Well, I think the only time you can do it now is if you actually go up on the hill and ambush one of them essentially oh yeah because i see that all the time now on social media people who walk into one of the either senate or house buildings and just and anybody can do it because everybody's got a recorder yeah or and a phone yeah sure. and a camera yeah and you can ask uh, all the questions you want that's the reason i'm going to be honest uh you know who janelle Lilly is yeah uh-huh. okay i really like her as a reporter i know She's doing more anchor stuff now. Mm-hmm. Seems like they're moving her into the anchor desk more and more and more. Uh, but I really, really like her. I used to have her on my show at night when I was on 96.5, and I haven't asked her back on. I probably could ask her, and she'd, she'd come on over. But she did what a reporter's supposed to do with Mark Pryor one time. Oh, wow. All right. She was interviewing Mark. I forget what the subject was on, but it was something that Pryor really didn't want to talk about. And, you know, when you get to be a congressman or a senator or whatever, a lot of times you have people who run static for you. They keep the press away from you. And they were trying to keep him from um, having to answer one of her questions. And so he went into an elevator. And so one of the people, one of the handlers were trying to keep Janelle away from him and thought that they had succeeded. And she did a kind of a really, she should have been running back for the NFL uh, she made a really nice cut, <laughs> got around them, got in with the cameraman, too. Wow. Got into the elevator, had the senator backed into a corner and kept asking him the, these questions. And he was just like trying to turn away from her. He didn't want to. That is a good, you know, that's that's a good reporter. That was pursuing the story. And I, I'm guessing just based on what you've been saying that uh, there's a there's a time when you can sound really obnoxious and there's a time where you just want a straight answer. Yeah. And, and she just want an answer. Yeah. And and we were talking about this before, maybe an hour ago when we were talking about politics, but uh, one of the things that is getting me with these sound bites from Nancy Pelosi is she was saying essentially that the funding for the wall is useless because the wall is useless. It's a waste of money. Uh, it's immoral. That's the thing that bothers me more about anything she says. It's immoral. And she's got one of the biggest walls around around her, her house. Her house is nice. I just saw it today. Oh, it's millions of dollars. Well, that's it's, not hard it's to very do in nice. San Francisco. But, I mean, it's yeah, it's got a big white wall. Well, big white wall. All it's a nice wall. It. Yeah. Very nice wall. So, Hillary's got a big white fence around hers. Yeah. And uh, one of those things, like if you were one, if you were a true journalist and you are able to get uh, Nancy Pelosi – why don't you ask her a question? Ask her a question. Ask her. Why are you, you immoral? Or, or or just say, how is a wall ineffective? Because she kept on saying the wall's ineffective. How? Like, what what do you have to say 
Like there, there should be a concrete answer to that. Like, well, if you take pyrite and put pyrite next to the wall with Semtex and you blow it up, it's ineffective. <laughs> well, at least this is an answer, you know. Yeah, you, you can you. say it's ineffective, but that at the end of the day, that's all the American people want. That's what your constituents want. Taxpayers, they just want an answer. If you can, you can a legitimate answer, right? You can wax poetic all you want, all day, every day. But if you are saying some inane stuff that even a, a person with an eighty IQ can listen to and be like, "Wait, what? Walls are ineffective? How?" Well, did you hear today? She was talking about uh, the the Muslim Congresswoman who used uh, Mother Effer, right? About Trump, and uh, I. Uh, listen to Nancy Pelosi's. I think I, in fact, I know we have it. Russ had to run out of the studio. When he gets back, I'll have him play it for you. It, the most important thing to hear is the very end of, of what, what Pelosi says. Of what Pelosi said is it where she says, "Oh, that's no different than what Trump has said," or something like no, that. No, no, no. She said that what Trump says, his words carry a lot of weight, but she says nobody cares. <laughs> it wow. doesn't affect anybody. And I, I'm just like, okay. And then she made the statement about the impeachment uh, statement the lady made and said, well, that that's her opinion. That's not the caucus's opinion. Hmm. You know, so well, I'll play it for everybody here in just a moment. I played that really early in the show, so I need to play it again so you can hear it uh, and, and understand, you know, what Nancy – I mean, Nancy Pelosi said, I'm a grandmother. I don't use that kind of, of – uh, of of uh, speech, uh, but young people do. She said, "Young younger people that that's the way they talk now. That sure. kind of like that's the cool way to talk. They, they drop not only not an f bomb but an mf bomb. You know, even people who don't like you know that drop f bombs think twice about saying you know mf or gd a lot of times. Yeah, a person a person who has class who is in any position of power." Once they're in that position, especially when you're it's your first day on the job, you know, <laughs> what yeah, in the world are you what are what in the world are you thinking? I mean, you and I have talked about how uh, we certainly can swear like sailors uh, at when, times. Yeah, at times when we're in appropriate company. I hit my thumb with a hammer, and I'm sorry. What's I've been told what's deep in the well is still there. I know you said golly. Yeah, Just, yeah as long as you could golly. <laughs> After that, the hammer hit yeah, the, hit the thumb. Well, what's funny is I will argue the point that the people who say snap might as well just use the curse word because all you're doing is giving snap more weight than it has going. <laughs> um, I think Lenny Bruce was very right about words, and by denying the use of the word, it gives it more power than what it deserves. Right, because it becomes almost it, – it's taboo yeah. in a sense. Yeah, you know, as far as that's concerned. But, yeah, it's it's interesting the way – uh, it it works anymore about and Pelosi she's she's one of my favorite foils just because she's so dumb about what she says. Did you hear? I, so a friend of mine sent me this video and I haven't seen it yet. But apparently during her one of her talks uh, yesterday uh, or when she was sworn in, she still she still referred to Trump as Bush. So yeah. she she made a another I guess linguistic foible. Faux yeah, faux pas. And uh, because I know a lot of people, she this is not her first time doing that. She's done it at least three or four other times. And at so, the very end, uh-huh. you can hear her say, I didn't give several pages of my speech. 
as she was as she was doing her speech, she jumped over about three to four pages of it. And no, I guess no one noticed her. Care. Well, no, they, they didn't. Hey, Ross, let's play that cut from uh, Pelosi real quick about uh, it's cut number one, in fact, on our list today about talking about uh, the use of MF by uh, the Congresswoman. Listen to her trying to get around this. You're not concerned at all about the the way that the president's base will react to the idea of an incoming Democratic caucus coming in with the idea already pre-baked into the cake. They're going to go and get them. You guys are going to go get well, them. Well, you have to weigh the equities. Uh, that is not the position of the House Democratic Caucus. Sure. Um, the equity to be weighed is that's freedom of speech of an individual member. Uh, as I say, generationally, that would not be language I would use. Sure. Uh, but nonetheless, I don't, I don't think we should make a big deal of it. I really don't. Okay. I really don't. That's probably the way people talk around. I, I, um, again, I'm a grandmother, and <laughs> that's a different story. Right. Uh, but it, it is, uh, it's really, words have, weigh a ton. And the president has to realize that his words weigh a ton, too. And the words, some of the words that he used has a direct impact on people's lives. My colleagues' comments do not have an impact on people's lives. It's called the hypocrisy fallacy for people. <laughs> so the hypocrisy fallacy is when you're caught doing something. You'll notice how she deflected that really quickly. She said first <laughs> – it's gonna. this is going to take like three steps to unpack. First, she says that, well, I don't talk that way, that I'm a grandmother, and I think the young people – that's probably how they talk. No, that's not true. And you know that's not true. <laughs> that is a vulgarity no matter how you spin that's it. That's right. Right? <laughs> and then, uh, and you did it in front of your son. You did it in front, front of your son. And you all of your supporters. Right. And then she – so she does that really quick head fake where it's like, oh, um, but, you know, <laughs> the president says stuff all the time that's like that too. So in other words, you're justifying the malady of – the weight of the word said and you're trying to say, well – yeah, that might be bad, but that's just as bad as, was the, pre- as no, what the president has no, said. No, she said that – and the president should understand that words have weight uh, too, but what she said has – No weight. No weight at all. Yeah, exactly. So it's like – doesn't so, affect people. Wh- so the president, he says that it affects people. <laughs> the, uh, an elected congresswoman says that it doesn't affect anybody. Just – uh, oh my it's, gosh. it's a stupidity. It is. That, yeah. That's that's just standalone stupidity. That's why I said she she's like shooting fish in a barrel. I'm mm-hmm. just saying to, to to show the hypocrisy. I I I laugh. I've been laughing the last two days about this and looking at this is the party that says they are the party of inclusion. They are the party that uh, you know given uh, you know people that are are women that are, uh, you know, black, uh, you know, red, all the different colors, ethnicities, uh, religious, tolerance, and all the rest. And who's their number one choice thus far uh, that they'd like to see nominated for president? It's an old white guy by the name of Joe Biden. Creepy Uncle Joe. It makes me laugh. <laughs> it ma- It does. It makes me laugh. And what else makes me laugh is that, we have, quote, the new Democratic Party, but we've got the same old Speaker of the House back in, in control. I mean, that speaks tons for all the new ideas that the Democrats supposedly have. It's like deja vu. It, when, well, <laughs> it is. It's deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra used to say. Yeah. Same old same old stuff, same old story. 
same old people and never power, changes. Never changes. That's why I said it's you know uh, you know say hi to new boss same as the old boss. It's the same old same old. Yeah. Now now they have and even the new stuff isn't. <laughs> it's it's choosing your poison. You have these old ideas, these old um, failed ventures, and then you have people like AOC. You have people like the foul-mouthed congresswoman uh and then you have people like hank johnson and you think to yourself like either way you spin it maxine waters maxine waters low sheila jackson low iq maxine waters sheila those two would have a race for who has the lowest iq (laughs) i'm just saying sheila jackson is incredible in some of the stuff that she says yeah just because you're a you know, we, uh, it's called the appeal to authority fallacy. Just because you're an authority figure does not necessarily mean you're a smart person. No. Does not mean that you're particularly bright. Does not mean that you have the right answers. Um, that I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm, I'm still thinking that just because uh, I am older, but I think most young people, they, they don't quite lionize people uh, in political authority outside of perhaps the president, which is good. I got to tell you, I was – also listening to that speech that she gave yesterday because i played the back for everybody because i said here's what we got coming a lot of people voted for these people know that they're going to want them to do what they promised that they were going to do and she actually made this statement we're going to make america more american because we're going to get the dreamers in oh boy we're going to make america more american by getting the dreamers and and here's the key they were offered yes exactly a few months ago the ability to bring all the dreamers all of them in and make them uh american citizens and they turned it down because if they didn't they didn't have a political uh point to make yeah i was about to say uh, uh since you brought it up they had the opportunity that was the exchange for the wall uh it was in in a way, uh, I w- I don't think I would have liked it, but again, this was back in March actually uh, of last year. But I remember thinking to myself, you have a set number of dreamers who would be granted um, amnesty or would be able to le- enter, enter the country, and you have a wall that will potentially leave out millions of potential Democrat voters. It was a win for us and a, a little win for them. A little win, right, in the short term. And that's the way, you know, Trump kind of views things that way when he wants to make a deal. Yeah. He wants to come out the big winner, if possible, but at least come out a winner. I mean, the question that I have right now is this. So <laughs> the last 48 hours have been kind of this circus that's been amusing. Yeah. But if they continue down this path, you have Mitch McConnell digging his heels in in the Senate. You know that... The president is not going to agree on any of these bills that are going to be coming through. Do they really think they're going to hold on to the House in 2020? <laughs> nope. I, I don't know what they think. I I have been scratching my head about this. Of course, you know that Nancy Pelosi made a deal that she would give up the speakership after two years. Uh-huh. I think she knew after two years we won't have the speakership anyway. Right. That would be good. I mean, I'll be I'll be happy. I know that a lot of people are forecasting that 2020, uh, we're probably going to take back the House and the Senate. I sure hope so. Or at least keep it, keep the Senate. And yeah, keep the Senate, maybe grow it even more. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. All right, don't forget about Sonny's Auto Salvage. I'm using RD and Sonny's uh, as we speak. 
uh, Friday a week. I was coming out of my subdivision, and the car surged and then stopped dead. Tried to turn it over, made a god-awful noise. I knew probably what it was, but had it towed into Joe's garage, and he called me Monday and said, Dave, it's as bad as you thought. You bought, you, you, you broke the crankshaft. You know, the, the engine is dead, and I said, send it over to R.D., and he did. R.D. has found the motor. I understand they got it in yesterday. They were going to start putting it into my car today. comes with a great warranty that they have. And, uh, you know, I'm hopefully have another three to five years to drive this car around, put another 280,000 miles on it, and I'll be happy. I'll be over 500,000 miles then. I'd be a happy camper if I could do that. But if you want to do that, because you're going to save yourself a lot of money. Look, this is going to cost me about $3,000. If I went out and bought a brand new car, I would probably have to finance it because of a high price of a lot of the cars now. I couldn't touch my uh, Acadia uh, for what I paid for back in 2010. It will be uh, at least another twelve to $14,000 more and it would really cause me problems. All right, I got to get a break in. Let's do that. But you, you, you get my drift. Use Sonny's Auto Salvage, 982-7451. All right, back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's finish it up for a Friday. Uh, on Monday, don't forget, Robert Steinbach will be here, a law professor over at UALR, Bowen School of Law. And he'll join us during the course of the show as well as uh, Conduit News will join us in the final hour. Some headlines that you um, need to know about. Senator Ted Cruz and uh, Congressman Francis Rooney introduce a term limits amendment. We'll take a look at some of these stories, what's underneath the headlines in a moment. Uh, A report has come out. Nancy Pelosi's choice to lead the Climate Committee to go out and and challenge the climate crisis, as she calls it, has been found to own stock in corporate polluters. A U.S. airstrike has killed the terrorists responsible for bombing of the USS Cole. You can run, but sooner or later we're going to catch up to you. Just know that's the way it works. A congresswoman who called Trump an MFR ran from reporters who wanted to ask her about why she would use such language. And uh, the federal court has sided with uh, President Trump on the transgender military band. And, in fact, let's bring that story up. Uh, More on that is the Trump administration's ban on transgender serving in the U.S. military pop-up ads i hate them uh got a major boost on friday when a federal appeals court ruled that the ban should not have been blocked by a lower court according to usa today a three-judge panel of the u.s court of appeals for the district of columbia circuit ruled that the partial ban announced by the pentagon but never implemented should not have been blocked by a district court while it was being challenged The three-judge panel argued that considerable deference is owed to the executive branch on military policy, noting that the ban on transgenders was not a blanket ban and that it had been fine-tuned by Pentagon officials. Quote, 
the government took substantial steps to cure the procedural deficiencies that the court identified in the enjoined 2017 presidential memorandum, the panel said, adding that the partial ban, quote, plausibly relies upon the considered professional judgment of appropriate military officials and appears to permit some transgender individuals to be able to serve in the military, unquote. The uh, finalized version of the ban on transgenders disqualifies from service transgender persons with a history of the diagnosis of gender dysphoria and specifically those who may require substantial medical treatment, uh, including medications and surgery, except in, quote, certain limited circumstances. The ban was also crafted after extensive study by senior uniformed and civilian leaders, including combat veterans, unquote. That's a win. Yeah, finally. That's a win. enough. Yeah, that's a win, just so everybody knows. In other words, if you're transgender, don't think that you're going to join the military and get your surgery paid for by taxpayer money. That's exactly what that said in legalese. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they were saying there. It's expensive. Not only is the surgery um, very expensive, but you also have the hormone treatments that go with it, too. Uh, not to mention the counseling that typically accompanies a lot of that as well. I'm surprised to see this happen. Today, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, of course, and uh, Congressman Francis Rooney of Florida introduced a joint resolution to amend the Constitution of the United States. The proposed amendment would place term limits on elected officials in the Senate and the House. No person who has served three terms as a representative shall be eligible for election to the House of Representatives. For purposes of this section, the election of a person to fill a vacancy in in the House of Representatives shall be included as one term in determining the number of terms that such person has served as a representative if the person fills the vacancy for more than one year. Section 2, no person who has served two terms as a senator Wow, eight years or mm-hmm. 12 years, six years for them, 12 years, uh, shall be eligible for election or appointment to the Senate uh, for purposes of this section. The election or appointment of a person to fill a vacancy in the Senate shall be included as one term in determining the number of terms that each that such person has served as a senator if this person fills the vacancy for more than three years. So there you have it. Yeah, way to go for term limits. Uh, I know that Ted Cruz was pretty strong on that during his campaign in 2016. Co-sponsors, ready? Mm-hmm. Mike Lee. Nice. No surprise. Yeah. Marco Rubio. Mm, yeah, a bit of a surprise. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a surprise that he jumped on. Uh, was introduced, it was read twice, referred to the Committee on the Judiciary, according to the official website, for the United States Congress, in a press release, Cruz said, for too long, members of Congress have abused their power and ignored the will, will of the American people. Term limits on members of Congress offer a solution to the brokenness we see in Washington, D.C. It is long past time for Congress to hold itself accountable. I urge my colleagues to submit this constitutional amendment to the states for speedy ratification gotta get two-thirds of the states to agree to it mm-hmm. it'd be very interesting it i think it probably will fly through um arkansas but as i look as they have been fighting against term limits 
I don't know. Yeah. Some yeah. people want to keep their cushy jobs. Yeah. Said that Cruz proposed term limits back in January 2017. Uh, that was the same joint resolution identical to the one that they proposed today. At the 2017 CPAC, Cruz said the following about term limits. This election was the American people saying, enough already with the corruption in Washington. It's both parties. It's Democrats. It's Republicans who have been here too long, who have become captured by this city. Yeah, they become professional uh, politicians. Yeah. And yeah, the sure way that have. and in the way that our founding fathers had it structured was the idea that uh, and this were the a lot of the civic stuff becomes really interesting. Um I always said that if if I knew now about politics um and I went back in time and told my past self, it would be a lot more interesting. But the reason they're called the House of Representatives is the idea that back in the day, in order to send delegates to Washington to do anything to get things done, was the idea that the people would vote on a certain number of representatives who would go there and speak on behalf of the people. And the unfortunate thing about it is that a lot of these people, when they go up to Washington, because they're more motivated by their professional careers – uh, as opposed to their original intent, which was to be a representative, they end up abusing their power. Instead of speaking the will of their constituency, they end up kind of doing their own thing. And then um, that's how we end up with corruption, because the people don't uh, end up with representatives. They end up basically with miniature dictators <laughs> who want to go up there and ex- exercise their own power and influence. I, I have to laugh. I, I just looking at another story from the Daily Wire today, and they went after Cortez like I did today when she started talking about her Green New Deal mm-hmm. and how ridiculous it sounds. You know how why it really sounds ridiculous? Because I'm reading what she has said. I mean, now I've got it right in front of me in black and white, and it makes me laugh. Uh, listen to this. Let me go back, and it's because one of the things that she pushed is zero carbon emissions, that's no use of fossil fuels, within 12 years. She says, that is the goal. It's ambitious. He says, how is that possible, Cooper does? You're talking about everybody having to drive an electric car. Cortez. Now, this is a typical, her typical response, which is to deflect, and offer nothing in return about your question. It's going to require a lot of rapid change that we don't even conceive as possible right now. (laughs) What is the problem with trying to push our technological capabilities to the furthest extent possible? They're already doing that. (laughs) They're already doing that, Helm. This woman acts like they've not even made any you know, progress at all. You know what? Um, you know what's actually more feasible than her plan right now? I remember when we were kids, it was one of those pie-in-the-sky dreams where it's like, oh, we'd only have world peace if everyone agreed to hold hands across the world. At this point, in 12 years, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, it would probably be more feasible if we just implemented that. Why don't you just have a bill? <laughs> That's it's, and, and based on the stupidity of your... Uh, 
of your argument. Uh, don't even get me started on the fact that it's not going to happen because what happens in the U.S. doesn't apply to international law. But but go ahead and make a bill saying, hey, we can accomplish world peace within 12 years if we just all agree on a certain da- hour of a certain day in a certain year in a certain month and just all link arms across the world. Then we'll achieve, then we'll accomplish world peace. All right. So let's talk about higher taxes. All right. All higher taxes do is put more money in the coffers of, of the government. Washington. Correct. All right. A um, report published by the Bureau of Economic Research stated this, quote, a one percentage point increase in either the median or top marginal tax rate is associated with approximately a 4% decline in patents, citations, and inventors, and a close to 5% decline in the number of superstar inventors in the state. Case studies provide particularly clear visual evidence of a strong negative relationship between taxes and innovation because people are spurred by making money to invent things. All right, that I just added that, okay? When combined with the macro state-level regressions, the instrumental variable approach and the border county analysis, the results overall bolster the conclusion that taxes were significantly negatively related to innovation outcomes at all state levels. Mm-hmm. Rest my case. Yeah. I rest my case. I can kind of attest to this in a, in a sense. Now, patents, I'm not too familiar with. Copyright and trademark, I am. Those are expensive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every time we, we create a new work, like a book or something, even though we know that in, in the legal world, you're already protected as far as your copyright and trademark are concerned. It does not hurt to get them, especially for legal purposes, but they're expensive. So I can only imagine if you're an innovator, an inventor, or a person looking to patent something, anytime you have even a small increase in your taxes, if your patent normally costs $20 to file and it's raised at a point where it's like $30, $10 might be crumbs to someone like a Nancy Pelosi. But for someone who has a great idea and they want it to go through the machinations, that $10 can make all the difference in terms of if it's delayed, uh, or if it's even filed. Yeah, well, you don't want to be spending your money if you're not going to make money back. Yeah, precisely. That's. I mean, it, it's, this is such so simple, the logic of it, that it amazes me that people would ever vote for anybody that says, we got to raise taxes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we had this argument, not an argument, we had a discussion yesterday, J.R. Davis and I, and uh, Carl Kemble and several other people, when we had worked uh, together, some more uh, have been working on it a lot harder than I did. I'm, all I did was pick up the media mantle and, and start promoting it on the air and getting it out in front of people for, so they could start thinking about it. Uh, we got the, the signatures to get it onto the, um, the ballot. And at that time, the then Republican governor of the state of of arkansas was totally against getting rid of the uh, food tax said that if we got rid of the food tax we'd become a third world nation basically uh schools would close uh and uh, the arkansas children's hospital would close and 
I mean, it was crazy, the things they said would happen, because this money wasn't coming in. It was always our argument that if you let people keep their money, they're going to spend it, and in the end, you'll end up with more money in the in the coffers of government than you did while you were trying to take everybody's money. And that's exactly what happened. It took a, a Democrat to start cutting uh, the uh, the ga- uh, not gas the food, tax. The, the food tax, and that was Beebe who who started cutting it. And now the governor uh, Asa Hutchinson is looking for a way to finish that off. And if you look at how much money has been coming in under Governor uh, Governor Hutchinson, uh, you got to understand that. We're going for our third tax cut. We did the low income, then we did middle, and now we're doing high this last time. The amount of money coming into the state coffers has continued every year to rise. Mm -hmm. And so anybody who tells you what we need to do is raise taxes is lying to you. What they're saying, you raise taxes, I'll guarantee you the money coming into the coffers. It may go up at the very beginning, but soon it will trail off and tail off, and they'll tell you they got to raise taxes again right. to make up for the money that they've been scam. losing. It is a scam. It's it's having the walnut shells on the on the table with the pea. Mm-hmm. You know, where's the pea? Well, the pea's not there. It's just not there. It it's always going to be less money, and they're going to continue to tell you that means they need more of your money to make up for the lost revenue that they're losing because you've lost the money you had. Uh, control over to spend mm-hmm. you know if i can understand this stuff it, it, it's it's not rocket science the whole thing <laughs> well about, you and i both <laughs> i mean the whole thing about macro and microeconomics and all the rest of it you don't need to know all of that it's pretty simple there is no such thing as a money tree and uh the government doesn't need all your money that's Pretty easy to figure out if you ask me. Let's take a last break, then I come back and we'll finish up with Tim. All right, we're down to about five and a half minutes remaining here. And Tim, what what do you think? What is it the people if I can figure this out just from the stuff that I've read and and studied, and I'll be honest, I have studied economics. When I went to high school you had to take a year of econ as a you know, a, you couldn't get out of it. You had to take a year of econ you took a year of American history. You took a year of poli-sci. And uh, bottom line, people who graduated at that time at least had some knowledge about this stuff. Kids now, young people now, they don't understand any of this stuff. Well, economics and civics aren't even required classes in a lot of settings. I know, for example, I went to a very good pub- private school. And economics was an elective, as was civics. And I have always, in in hindsight, I always think that those should be essential parts of at least a high school education. You uh, we, should know how your government works. Correct. Because if you find it out, I mean, this is the stuff that literally impacts you on a daily basis. Yes. The way that bills move, the idea of small versus big government um, – I just went to Mount Vernon recently about, you know, three or four weeks ago, and they had this really interesting thing where if you think about Washington being the first president of the United States, the fledgling government did not know what it was doing. You had Hamilton and you had Jefferson who had two very different ways of how things should be run. Yeah. And there's this really neat thing that you could do. It was a simulation where 
you pretended you were Washington and you had you had these uh, historical dilemmas come your way and you had to choose. You would have two actors, one playing Jefferson, one playing Hamilton, and they would give you good advice and you had to decide which one was correct. Did they talk Central Bank? They did talk about Central yeah, Bank, that correct. Was huge yeah, between because those that two. was a big one. Uh, Jefferson wanted the states to decide. Yep. Uh, Hamilton wanted the Central Bank. Yep. And if you're Washington at the time and having to decide this, I mean, it's and you're not familiar with your history, it's kind of nerve-wracking. And this is stuff that affects us every day. I always say, I always tell this story. I don't want to give away my um I have I have a cousin. <laughs> and my cousin wasn't an ardent liberal up until the time he got his law degree and and started practicing law, actually ma- actually making money. <laughs> and uh when he started making money and started having to pay taxes, looking at where his taxes were going, why his cost of living was so high, looking at why his paycheck was not as high as it was promised ah. after taxes, then you start asking yourself, well, what is going on here? And mm-hmm. it's not because of greed. It's because of your natural curiosity to wonder where your pennies are going and where all of this money is being flushed to. So I don't even be- – I, I think – so you'll notice that especially with Democrats, they want to paint politics as like, well, don't pay any attention to it. This is just a nitty-gritty. This is all just complicated. This is like white paper stuff. No, it's not. It does not take a rocket science scientist to know where your money is going. And it, what I try to do to illustrate this to people is I look at – I use tax cuts as an example. Yeah. The more money you keep – let's say I get a $3,000 tax cut, so I get $3,000 back. Some of that I'm going to invest. So some of that I'm going to put back into the bank. A lot of it I am going to, you know, take my wife out to a nice dinner and I'm going to tip generously. That tip is going to go to the waiter. The waiter who might be making less money than I do, actually, they probably are. They're going to take that money. Unless it's a Disney World. (laughs) Correct. And they're going to invest in something like, you know, hey, I have an extra three bucks. I'm going to go Starbucks and I'm going to get this nice cup of coffee that everyone says is really good. That goes back into uh, the coffers at Starbucks, maybe into someone's tip. And the cycle keeps on going where it's a snowball type of effect where uh, it just ends up perpetuating and growing in the economy. This is exactly what we just talked about before the break. Exactly. And so it's not rocket science. No, it's not. How people work. So why is it that in Washington, D.C., they can't figure it out? Well. Or they do know. They're getting something on the side. Well, they these are also some of the same people who believe in uh, sixty-two genders. <laughs> no, <laughs> so yeah, that's something that's that true. that's something that even kindergartners are aware of. Yeah. All right, we're done. Doc, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having always me. to have you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Remember, God gave you a whole week of life. Give Him an hour on Sunday. Find out what He's got to say to you. I'll see you on Monday at two o'clock. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.